Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Sports, powered by Sikkim365.com. Four receivers on here on third and ten. Morton all kinds of time to the end zone. And a touchdown hauled in by Loic Fungi. 365 Sports is presented by IdealMRI.com. High-quality MRIs for $497 or less. IdealMRI.com. Your health is important, so is your budget. Schlee's going to run it again, and the speed of Colin Schlee down the sideline to the 15 and all the way inside the 10, finally tackled by Shea Oladipo to save a touchdown. For now, it's going to be first and goal, UCLA. 365 Sports is also brought to you by Texas Farm Bureau Insurance, protecting Texans since 1952. Sheds two tackles. Are you serious with this guy? He's in again. His fifth touchdown today. Ricky Hunt going nuts in Myrtle Beach. Have you subscribed to our YouTube channel? Search 365 Sports on YouTube. Brought to you by TFNB, your bank for life. Fourth and what feels like the ball game. Here's the blitz. Webb downfield. question do you kick or do you go for the lead 365 sports is turbocharged by unite private networks find out more at uniteprivatenetworks.com mikey keen 12 for 12 passing goes to the end zone a laser caught by jalen gill for a touchdown how about mikey keen he can't miss now here's david smoke and craig smoke And good morning, the uh, eve of the Christmas weekend. Christmas, of course, coming up on Monday. Today, we are earlier than normal, much earlier than normal. We'll take you up until 1130. We will hear from Brett McMurphy, Zach Barnett, Mickey Spagnola, John Kurtz today. Grayson Grunhafer joins us today. And also, I'm here today along with Craig Smoke. Merry Christmas to you and Happy New Year, Garrett Ross runs the mothership thanks to those of you who are aboard with us very early in the chat room because you are the diehards bracket cat uh paxton both of you early on right here on this foggy day 
uh, in Central Texas and perhaps where you are too. All right, so the day, two stories. One that came in, again, wait a little bit. Something new will happen. We're going to get to the Pac-12 because a lot of legal things that happened last night. But today, Craig Smoke, Florida State, will have their Board of Regents meeting, which is just around the corner. New business on the agenda, information updates, action items, legal matters related to Department of Intercollegiate Athletics. We know what they're trying to do to file something to get out of the grant of rights. Yeah, uh, we've talked this to death already and uh, really just the beginning of the the story itself because Florida State's been barking for an entire year now or, or close to it and uh, now we get some sort of next step forward in the court system and this filing that they're expected to uh, you know put into place or, or go after to uh, see what they can do to you know get through that grant of rights or, or get rid of that get past that grant of rights that is the biggest issue biggest hurdle uh, when it comes to their you know membership in the ACC and getting out of that then going to see and explore what they might possibly have on the other side in terms of an SEC or a Big Ten invite, potentially. A lot of things that could come from this, um, and they're just slowly unraveling, I think, the knot that uh, they're currently in and that uh, others are in. Uh, with that being said, others, I think, very interested to see what kind of stuff has said today by Florida State and what may come of this, because if they are able to unravel a grant of rights or, or get past a grant of rights, then that is basically free game for everybody else in the country that's under a grant of rights. So this is... You know, a story that probably could have waited to the start of the new year, but uh, Florida State obviously is is ready to get this done after the playoff snub. And, you know, this is a, a case where a lot of people are going to be looking very closely to see what happens here because it's going to have ripple effects uh, on the rest of the college football landscape and on a lot of other teams in the ACC and perhaps beyond as well. So, uh, yeah, it's it's not a thing where I think you're expecting any kind of like major result today other than them just pushing forward. But uh, I guess we'll see what happens here in a little while. Well, you know, it, there may be movement as far as a decision to actually file something that maybe they already know that that's why they call the meeting or it could just be again, a chance to discuss what's going on and nothing actually does occur as far as any action. And then one of the stories I read late last night, we heard this before is the possibility because how much money is involved to try to get out of anything Texas and Oklahoma, what was it, about $100 million to leave a year early from the Big 12, and then there was a settlement with that, uh, and they're off to the SEC a year early. Both sides, the Big 12 wins, and because they get to move on, and it's not that dark cloud uh, that really was there for almost a year and a half, and Texas OU get to go do their thing. Texas tried to do their thing on January 1st against Washington, too. But is that possibility of so much money involved that you hooked yourself into a private equity. And there is a little bit of like, you're like, whoa, but private equities have all the money in the world. And so you do that and you wonder if that then begins another trend when it comes to college athletics so that 150 or $300 million doesn't mean anything really, although you still eventually do have to pay the bill. Yeah, I mean, that's something that's been widely talked about as well. Uh, the last time Florida State was mouthing off about what they were planning on doing, there was the talk about private equity, and that's not as, you know, I think as clear-cut as some people make it. Uh, oh, it's just like live golf, or it's the Saudis would be the ones that would be investing. I mean, I think there's options other than that on the table and options that Florida State's fleshing out or has already fleshed out at this point, and part of why they're feeling comfortable enough to start making the moves that they're 
looking like they're going to start making the day. Um, but yeah, that's that's part of this. I think there's a concern by just some fans out there of like, what exactly is this turning into? We start talking about private equity to float your ability to leave a conference and pay tens of millions of dollars just to start going playing in the SEC or the Big Ten. I mean, it's a new world we're walking into. I don't think everybody's on board with exactly how quickly maybe things are uh, going or where exactly things are going. Um, but we're also kind of flying blind a little bit as well because who's to say what Florida State has up their sleeve and who's to say that even if they do that, that that's going to be the trend across the country. But it's it's just all weird. It's it's a, it's a, uh, you know, a situation that uh, is going to take some more time to play out. But, again, we'll learn a little bit more today and rather than speculating on what Florida State might do. I mean, we'll see here in the next hour or two of what exactly they're going to do. And so um, that'll be, you know, interesting and um, – you know, where that takes them, I guess, is just the, the next round of realignment is, you know, where we are now, and this is the kickoff of that in so many ways. So uh, buckle up. All right, so here's also something that just all of a sudden, poof, is gone. All of the legal issues surrounding the Pac-12 from the two teams still there, Oregon State, Washington State, and the 10 teams that are spread out around the country involving the Big Ten, Big 12, and also the ACC. There's a very short and sweet, but there's two statements that are longer. And then Brett McMurphy. We are pleased to have reached an agreement in principle that ends litigation. Litigation for Washington State, Oregon State to hold on to whatever they possibly can. And the 10 teams that are on their way out, they don't have to worry about that into the future. This is a lengthy statement. This is from a Ross Dellinger tweet. In September, as two remaining members of the conference, Oregon State, Washington State, were forced to act swiftly to protect the future viability of the Pac-12. Thanks to the determination and strength of Beaver Nation, Cougar Nation, and the excellence of our student-athletes, coaches, and staff, we are now closer to achieving our goal. Today's news marks a huge victory for our universities and a significant step forward, stabilizing the Pac-12 conference and preserving its 108-year legacy. The departing schools have agreed to forfeit a portion of their distributions over the remainder of this school year and provide specific guarantees against potential future liabilities. The conference retains its assets, all future revenues. The agreement ensures the future of the Pac-12 will be decided by the schools that are staying, not those that are leaving. We look forward to what the future holds for our universities, our student-athletes, the Pac-12 conference, and millions of fans. We're not going to do the other statement until later, Garrett, this one from the 10 schools. But, Craig, they obviously, it's a win for Oregon State and Washington State. I'm sure the other 10 feel like that, too. But this appears as if at least they have, in this specific moment, have an opportunity to get a little bit more revenue and the possibility moving forward to keep everything the conference has, whatever is left. I'm not sure how much the 10 feel like they won. I'm sure they're relieved just to have this be over with uh, more than anything else. But uh, I do think it's a win for Oregon State and Washington State, no matter which way you slice it. Uh, they appear to have gotten pretty much what they wanted, which is full control of the Pac-12 and uh, this in the rear view and the ability to now – kind of know what's what and to move on from a lawsuit that you didn't really know where that was going to take you or what road that was going to lead you down uh, ultimately. I mean, that I say that that got kind of cleaned up last week, but there was that loose end that was mentioned uh, as to why, you know, you haven't completely moved forward. Well, I guess that got answered a few hours later with this statement. So that whatever loose end was out there and still being referred to when you were talking about the, um, you know, the, the other moves that could be made, um, that's now cleaned itself up. So they can move forward. Uh, knowing 
there's resolution there, knowing whatever it is that they've agreed to money-wise and uh, rights-wise and ownership-wise, all those types of things, and uh, don't have to worry about any more legal fees. Uh, don't have to worry about dragging this out uh, potentially uh, any further, and I don't know how that would even get dragged out. I don't know what, you know, after the decision was made last week, what options the other 10 had. I'm sure they could have you know, just mucked this up in the courts with uh, with uh, – God, I can't think of the word. Um, uh, trying appeals. to continue to fight. Yeah, whatever. Appeals, yeah. Um, that, that, Yeah, I think that's the word I was looking for. I, but I don't know what options they had in front of them to, to be able to do that. But I'm sure they could have mucked it up more if they wanted to. So it's, uh, it's great that, you know, you got this resolution and you can move forward now if you're Oregon State and Washington State and the other 10 schools. And uh, what that is going to be for those two schools uh, remains to be seen. Obviously, they've set up uh, – a football schedule and now a basketball or a non uh, non football in men's basketball. Non, yeah, that uh, with the gosh, what is it? Uh, the West Coast Conference, and uh, now we'll see what they do with the rest of their you know options. But uh, it's going to be interesting to see you know what all is out in front of them and what that eventually turns into because there's going to continue to be speculation about you know a possible Big Twelve or a possible merger, or any other number of options and. Uh, now it looks like they're you know going to have more of a clear path to try to figure out what that's going to be and what that looks like in the long run. Let's uh, uh, get to Brett McMurphy, Action HQ, Action Network HQ. He, of course, one of uh, our guests that when there's something we need to know about in college athletics even deeper than what sometimes we might have, it's Brett McMurphy who joins us on 365 Sports early today. Brett, we were going to discuss Florida State, and we will, but then last night the Pac-12 story that popped for Oregon State, Washington State, and the other 10. Uh, is this an obvious win for Oregon State and Washington State? Yeah, absolutely, because, you know, financially that was, that was, the, big, uh, that was the big sticking point, and that's important for them going forward and whatever they may do. So um, the fact that they – you know, have control of the majority of the revenue um, from the, from the league is good news for them. Now it's the good news. Now the bad news is they've got to they've got to figure out what to do, and it's not an easy solution. Do you try to rebuild the league league, and that means bringing in teams from the Mountain West in future seasons, or do you do some type of merger with the Mountain West, or do you try to you know latch on to one of the, the other Power Four conferences, which is probably they never say never, but I would think, I mean, I don't know. At this point right now, I don't think it's that's realistic just because of the geography. And I know geography doesn't matter in college sports anymore, but they are kind of outliers up there uh, in the left corner of the, of the map. So, um, but the good news is they, they can move forward and try to figure out what they can do. And certainly they've already announced their schedule for 2024. Um, that was huge. And then, uh, you know, I think these next, next two years will be very telling and kind of show what's going to happen with them, you know, starting in 2026 when we get the new 12 team format for the playoff and, and maybe the conferences settle down a little bit by that, by that time. So Brett, Florida state with this big meeting today, a lot of uh, reports out there this week on, on this probably coming down the pipeline sooner rather than later and here we are on Friday right before Christmas break and we're going to learn something from Florida State today what are your expectations and uh, just what do you make of the the timing and just the the pursuit itself by Florida State to try and see what can be done here with this grant of rights yeah well you know I, I reported yesterday that you know this Florida this is something Florida State's been 
talking about with its key stakeholders for over a year. And, you know, there was some consideration to actually do this before the season. Um, but then ultimately they decided they didn't want to be a distraction of the football team if they made this this kind of announcement. So they wanted to wait until after the after the football season. I know some people have reported, um, you know, because of the college football playoff snub, that was the last straw. This this drove FSU over the edge. I don't um, I don't believe that. I'm not. That's not true. It, what it did though is it maybe you know sped up the process a little bit. I mean, they're not going to one. What I think happens today, and the, the meeting starts in 15 minutes. I, you know, their board of trustees, they'll all get up there and they'll talk about how great Florida State is and how much the disparity of revenue is between the ACC and the SEC and the Big Ten, and how much value Florida State has as a TV market and brand and all those good things, which we've heard them say in the past six months. You know, when I've talked to you guys, when they've had these meetings, the difference is. You know, I believe and I've been told that at some point they will they threaten that they're going to leave the ACC. You know, they said that publicly in the past. I don't think they're go- today they're going to say we're leaving the ACC. I think they're going to somehow say that they are they are now give their president, their athletic director, um, their legal department, whatever, um, the authority to start pers- start pursuing what exactly it would take to leave the ACC. So I I think people that are expecting them to come out and say, we're leaving the ACC. Here's our notice. I, I, it may happen. I'd be shocked if it did. So I think it's more to kind of officially start the process. Although who are we kidding? They, they started this process a year ago. They, they made multiple trips to Greensboro, North Dakota, North Dakota, North, uh, North Carolina to look at the um, ACC grant of rights. So they, they, they know everything they already know, but because of Florida Sunshine State laws, Florida State University uh, bylaws, they've, they've got to do this in a public setting. So that's what they'll do. But, um, you know, it, it, it will be, it will be fascinating to see what happens. And, you know, kind of as, as one source told me about this whole thing is this is basically, you know, this is the, Oppenheimer-like ripple effect throughout college athletics. And it's not that because Florida State is such a, a, a hot property. I mean, certainly, you know, there still is in question, would the Big Ten, does the Big Ten want them? Does the SEC want them? Um, potentially, both of those conferences, you know, may decide, yeah, you know what, we're good where we are. That's a real possibility. However, if Florida State and their legal team can figure a way out of the grant of rights, which goes on for another 10 more, 10 more years, then that's where you have the Oppenheimer like ripple effect, because then you are having max mass exodus out of the SEC from, it would be quicker to list who probably wouldn't get an invite somewhere else. That'd probably be Boston College, Wake Forest, Syracuse, but pretty much everybody else would look to scatter and find higher ground in either the Big Ten, the SEC, and also the Big 12 could be a possibility. Brett, do you really believe that, that that Florida State could find itself? I know you just mentioned it, but, I mean, do you really think that they would move forward here without, I guess, figuring that they've got a landing spot somewhere? And do you really think that if they were to become available in, in the sense that they're you know able to be uh, moved, that 
the SEC and Big Ten both, one of those really wouldn't have an interest in, in a brand like that? Well, I, I can give you the, you know, both sides of that. The Big Ten certainly wants to get in the state of Florida. Um, as much as you think, you think uh, Ohio State and Michigan have a rivalry, I've got a bigger rivalry in college sports. The biggest rivalry in all of college sports right now. And that's ESPN versus Fox. <laughs> yeah. And you're laughing. I'm not, I know oh, I joke I a lot. Yeah. That, I'm, I'm, I'm dead serious. And so here's, here's, here's the kind of the predicament here. Fox and the Big Ten would love to get into Florida. If, you know, you gave Greg Sankey some truth serum, and you probably don't even need to give it to him, he doesn't want to add Florida State. Florida State does nothing for the SEC. Um, yeah, it's a big brand. It comes in. It can boost their, fo- their football product. But they already have the state of Florida. They're fine. However, they don't want the Big Ten to come into Florida. Mm-hmm. ESPN certainly does not want Fox to plant their flag in Florida. So if you're the SEC, do you kind of say, well, we we need to take Florida State so the Big Ten doesn't get down here and start, you know, recruiting even more when you've got a you've got a team or teams in the state. So that that's kind of what to keep an eye out on or, or kind of what's being discussed behind the scenes. Um, but for the Big Ten, certainly, you know, for them, they and they truly are a national conference. They'll be in LA, Seattle, um, Washington D.C., um, you know the Midwest, and now, now they can get into New York. Now they can get into Florida. That would be huge for them. But then you again, you've got 18 member schools with the new additions. So if you're not in the top four or five schools right now, do you really want to add Florida State? Because now you're shuffling down one more spot on the totem pole. Mm-hmm. Your road to the college football playoff which is probably unlikely, just got even more tougher. Your road to being, get, getting the six wins and being bowl eligible is also going to be tougher now. Um, is it worth whatever more money you're going to get um, by bringing in Florida State worth it? At some point, you know, this is what these, sco- these schools need to, need to decide. And again, keep in mind, before the Big Ten added Oregon and Washington – I talked to Big Ten Commissioner Tony Petiti at Big Ten Media Days. And he flat out told me, we have no interest in expansion. None, zero. It's not on the front burner, the back burner. We're fine where we're at. Hey, fast forward two weeks, and they're, they're adding Oregon and Washington. So things can change that quickly. And he was being honest with me. Um, that's, that's the unknown is, you know, how much – difference it would make for the Big Ten to add in a, a Florida State, a Miami, potentially a Clemson. Um, I do think as far as the, the SEC, I don't think the SEC goes beyond 16 unless the Big Ten is going to go beyond 18. If the Big Ten, it's almost a game of chicken. If the Big Ten stays pat, then the SEC stays pat. So I guess your original question, does Florida State make this move if they're not guaranteed somewhere to go? I believe they do. Uh, they believe they, they have a way out of the grant of rights. We will find out. Um, their legal team, you know, certainly that, that would be a long process. Um, and they feel like that when they are available and they're out of the grant of rights, that they will have options um, for either the Big Ten or SEC. And if neither one of those conferences are a possibility, 
then certainly the Big 12 would make overtures to the FSU. The biggest sticking point with that is how do you make the money worth it for Florida State, which is going to be paying hundreds of millions of dollars to get out of the ACC. Brett, last question, because I know that meeting is about to start and you want to be all in the the middle of it, is uh, if Florida State does this, and let's say they move forward, but they don't win or they can't get out of it, is the ACC in a position where they could penalize them? Um, I I guess penalize them, I'm not sure – what exactly they could do. They, they they can't really withhold. I don't believe they can withhold. I haven't seen the grant of rights, but right. I, I don't believe they would be able to. It doesn't, it doesn't seem like they would be able to withhold revenue from them. That's really the only way you, you penalize yeah. schools anymore is financially. So I don't know necessarily if, if they could penalize them that way. If, if you're trying to, you know, get out of a contract and you're, you're not able to do so, uh, I guess it would be, penalty enough you're going to have egg on your face um the entire time you remain in that conference i you know i would be surprised if there would be a financial penalty there um certainly again whether they like it or not florida state's their biggest brand they're their biggest tv draw um so i don't know necessarily what they would want to do um and that's look no surprise that's why they added cal stanford and smu because they they've got their deal with ESPN if they drop below 15 schools, including Notre Dame, ESPN can renegotiate the contract. And so that's kind of why they backfilled at those schools because they realized that, you know, potentially Florida State and other schools would would be leaving or would be trying to leave, and they wanted to get some five schools now as opposed to waiting in a year or two when they leave. And then there's no Power 5 schools available. And then you're scrambling to, to grab teams from the American or Sun Belt or JUCO ranks or wherever wherever in the world you're going to find teams at this point. But um, yeah, it's you know I don't know how much I've helped you. There's a lot of unknowns. Mm-hmm. I think you know this morning we'll you know we'll find out how serious Florida State is. Is it just a bunch of posturing and beating their chest about well we got screwed in the playoff and now we're really 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 serious about looking into this. Or are they going to say we're we're starting the process of actively finding a path out of the ACC? That's two big differences because up to this point, um, they basically they talked a big game, and now today we're going to find out if it's more talk or they're actually going to actually going to take some action or at least start the process of doing this. And one final thing, if they do have to give a year's notice, so if they go ahead and go through with this, whether it's today whether it's next August when they notify the ACC, the earliest they could they would be able to get out and go to a new league would be July 1st, 2025. And Brett, last thing for me, so the Big 12, do you think they just are sitting back right now just letting things fall where they fall before they you know, try to, I guess, figure out too much because there are so many unknowns. I mean, they're the league that was on death's door, and now they've seen the pack die. The ACC's got a fire going on in the basement. Uh, are they just Brett your market company kind of sitting back and surveying at this point? They're probably trying to deliver firewood to the, that basement. <laughs> yeah, probably right, yeah. Great uh, you know, the, the, I mean, basically, yeah, they're – the big 12 is just sitting back and seeing what happens because like I said, if Florida state gets out, you know, I would think Florida state would find a home and 
in one of the two behemoths, the, the Big Ten or the SEC. But then, you know, there will be resulting more moves. And, you know, as, as we talked about, you know, when I've talked with you guys in the past, you know, there's some teams that, that make a lot of sense. Um, also, you know, geography-wise, which I know doesn't matter anymore, but certainly like the Louisville or Pitt um, and other schools, it would make sense to the Big 12. So, yeah, I, I think the Big 12 sitting back and uh, the Big 12, you know, does not have the financial, uh, you know, resources of the, of the as far as meteorites as far as the the Big Ten and, and SEC. So they're just sitting back. But yeah, again, if if, if Florida State and others find a way out of the grant of rights, then the Big Big Twelve will benefit. And will that be one team? Will that be four teams? Will that be six teams? I mean, it's impossible to say. And anyone right now that says they know, they're they're absolutely lying because folks of the Big Twelve don't know because they're waiting to see how this shakes out. Brett, thank you very much for jumping in early with us today. Enjoy, uh, I guess, what we're about to find out, if much of anything other than saber-rattling. Florida State about to start their meeting. Brett McMurphy, Action Network HQ. We always appreciate your time, and Merry Christmas, sir. This is uh, 365 Sports. Okay, so, yeah, it it will be interesting, and eventually it's like the tree that falls in the woods that you don't hear because there's a million of them. If this is just a meeting to pound your chest again. Uh, It's almost like, for example, crying wolf. If you're just wanting to make sure everybody knows you're there, well, everybody knows you're there. You've already made the comments. Maybe there's a decision out of this. And, Brett, I thought that was interesting, Craig, when he said what they might announce today is not that they're leaving the ACC or going to challenge the grant of rights, but they're going to give certain people the actual authority straight up Go do what you think we can do. You have We have your back. Well, I think that's actually what this was the entire time. I think maybe some others took that and ran with it, but I think from the very outset, that's exactly what this was always going to be and was always supposed to be, was them just giving the green light to move forward and further you know, exploring what they could possibly do and outright challenging the grant of rights. I think that's always what this was. I think because of the fact that you had – Article after article suddenly dropping over the last two days, which wasn't random. That was totally in line with what's now happening today. Is That was all just the preemptive, you know, kind of chatter before they took that step and actually, you know, moved forward with this meeting today. I think in all of that conversation, once that started bubbling up, then it was like, oh, what are they going to do? And what are they going to announce? What's this going to be? And, what's, and it's, you know, it's turned into... You know, now I think in some probably more uneducated circles, this expectation of, well, they're going to like flat out declare they're leaving today. And I don't know how much that train of thought's actually gotten across, but I have seen that there's just some that aren't as well versed on these things that just see certain headlines and it's like, oh, they're, they're going to decide to leave today. And so I think for those that follow it closely, you realize that's probably not going to be the case, that this all along was just going to be them basically stating, yes, we are giving you the authority to go forward and you know, explore every nook and cranny to try and get us out of this thing as opposed to, hey, we're joining the SEC or, hey, we're flat out getting out of this uh, conference. So, uh, yeah, well, I mean, we'll see what they say here in the next few minutes. And, and and as this gets underway, I can tell there's a lot of people that are tuned in expecting, you know, some news somewhere or the other. So hopefully they just delivered and this wasn't all just a bunch of hype for absolutely, you know, nothing whatsoever, a nothing burger, but – um, it sure seems like it's going to be more than nothing, but it also doesn't seem like it's going to be like the flat-out you know, exit that uh, 
some people are no, expecting is going to no, happen no, sooner no, rather than no. later. So I, that's where I'm afraid it probably got hyped up a little bit too much um, just through the social media chatter. But who's who's to say uh, until well, we see what they actually say here in uh, this meeting? Some of it was uh, columns written and opinions were given and, of course, discussed in realignment. We know based on what you have been asking for when it is there. We don't do realignment if it's just because we want to say realignment. We know that it's almost like a, a meth. But uh, we will continue to uh, discuss realignment when it's on the board because it also not only could affect nationally college football, not only just the ACC, depending what happens, or the other conferences, but it could absolutely be where there is availability for the Big 12 Conference too, if it ever gets to that point. By the way, last night, bowl game, South Florida beat the hell out of Syracuse. Dino Babers out. Fran Brown in, the coaching staff that was left, coached that game. Fran Brown and them were recruiting. South Florida hammered Syracuse 45 to nothing in the RuthClaim.com Boca Raton Bowl in Florida. Yeah, and I you know, think it's a great win for South Florida. I think it's a terrific way for Alex Golish and company to finish their season. You get a big win over an ACC school and not just a win but a blowout. I mean, absolute thrashing, shutout. Uh, it's about as good as you could have hoped for or expected in this type of a matchup. And so they're able to do that there in their home state and go back home happy on a short little you know ride or whatever it is. I imagine they probably rode to Boca Raton. I don't know. But, um, you know, whatever it was, they didn't have far to go, unlike Syracuse, who had to go up the, you know down the entire seaboard to only get whooped 45 to nothing. Um, but I did find it interesting that, you know, Fran Brown was there on the sidelines for an interview that I saw, and he's the same guy that I remember when he was here in Waco a few years ago, just very uh, low-key, uh, very uh, confident, but unique in his own kind of way. He's, he's just he's, – he's Fran Brown. Like, I don't know how else to explain it. You know, he's a, a Jersey guy, um, just cool as the other side of the pillow, quiet, you know, but not like – not like shy he's just he's got like speaks a little bit lower you know what i mean he's just he's he's different but he's the same guy i remember from i think that's called quiet confidence yeah i mean that's that's don't be who you're not yeah i mean he's he's he he doesn't talk loud but he still has you know command behind it and confidence behind it and he's just very chill and laid back and and i'm very uh excited to see what that can turn into at syracuse obviously already got kyle mccord uh, has done some things uh in the transfer portal in a very short amount of time, it's got that fan base riled up, and I don't know that that's derailed by last night, but certainly he's got some things to point to, and you know, like, well, let's start here with this forty-five to nothing blowout in the bowl game. But you know, these these bowl games are what they are. I mean, half the starters don't even play in these games at this point. The best players opt out, and so I, I saw a question floating around on social media last night, and I should have bookmarked it or something to give credit, but I don't think it's a totally brand new conversation. Um, but it was the first time I thought about it in a while, and it's, do you, should you even count the bowl game in your record? Now, I don't know how you'd be selected with that, because if you're a team in the playoff or your team goes win the national title, I'm sure you want to include it. But yeah. if you're not, and you're most every other team, I mean, was this? It gave South Florida a winning season, or USF them, a winning season. Yeah, yeah, and it gave Syracuse a losing season. Mm-hmm. You know, And so I, just, I saw that conversation about, because of the fact that there's, these aren't the same teams that were playing a month ago. Like, the rosters are almost totally different. The coaching staffs are different for a lot of teams. The situations are different. Like, look at the Georgia and Florida State game. I mean, that's not the same Florida State team. So, anyway, I saw a conversation about whether that should count. Like, you know, the NFL doesn't count the, the playoffs in their 
overall season total. So I guess that's sort of the idea. Well, with, and that's a tournament setting, which is about to be right. what we see in college football. But yeah. that's kind of the same idea of thought there is, is that that wouldn't count along with your, your main base record like it, it does right now. But, yeah, for South Florida, uh, huge to finish above 500, get a win over a Power 5 team, and gives uh, Alex Golish uh, some good things to work off of in the future. And Byron Brown, your freshman there, had a – Big, uh, nice game, leading you in uh, rushing and uh, then doing his thing in the passing game as well and had a big uh, rushing performance from Atkins in that game. So it was it was a good night for the Bulls and a great uh, end chapter for Syracuse for Fran Brown that I'll take over after that and say, like, all right, this is never going to happen again and this is not going to be, you know, something you ever see with Syracuse under my watch. So good, good way to just close that out and and move on along and and get started on the new era. Well, it's it's uh, that's not a bad thought if it's going to get more into bracket play. But you know, NCAA men's tournaments got you have to win six games and all of them count. And if you don't, you don't. But uh, yeah, I, and then there's going to be teams that make the NCAA men's basketball tournament might be nine and twenty four because they win a certain conference and end up nine and twenty five when they get knocked out immediately. Very interesting take though on the records because if again some teams are a shell of themselves, some teams are playing for a chance to win and play for a national title. When we come back, Zach Barnett football scoop, his thoughts about anything else in the coaching carousel, coaching extensions and all that, and his thoughts about Florida State and what's happening with what happened last night, the Pac twelve. Zach Barnett this is 365 Sports. Don't miss the wrap-up-the-year sales event at Allen Samuels in Waco. As the year comes to a close, we're offering unbeatable deals and a wide selection of new 2023 Jeep models like the Grand Cherokee, Grand Cherokee L, Renegade, Gladiator, Wrangler, and the Wrangler 4XE. In addition to incredible savings, we're also offering generous trade-in values for your current vehicle. Upgrade to a newer model while getting the most out of your trade-in. Hurry in. These deals won't last long. Shop our great selection of new inventory and start the new year in style. Boozers is the wedding ring store and more. If you're ready to get engaged or already married and want to upgrade your wife's ring for a special anniversary, Boozers is the place to go. With the largest selection of premier quality diamond engagement rings and wedding rings in Central Texas. They have seven cases with over 300 styles of rings from top designers like Natalie Kay. Choose from yellow, white, or rose gold, plus beautiful top quality loose diamonds. With an in-house jewelry, they can also custom make anything you want. Bring in a picture or drawing and let Boozers create your one-of-a-kind pendant or ring. They can even use some of your old gold and diamond jewelry to create something new. At Boozers, you'll find a great selection of quality timepieces, and Boozers is the place for expert watch maintenance and repairs, too. They specialize in expert Rolex watch repair for fine jewelry, watches, custom work, and more. Go to Boozers on Valley Mills and Lake Air Drive in Waco. Riverbend Liquor and Wine now has two locations to serve you. The original on Lakeshore Drive and North 19th Street and the brand new spot in downtown Waco at 600 Franklin Avenue. If you're looking for the best in craft beers or local Texas bourbons, then the original is the place to be. And for the latest trends and online phenomenons, head downtown to the Franklin location. Either way, you're going to get the same great variety, customer service, and speedy experience. Check out both locations on their Facebook and Instagram pages. Riverbend Liquor and Wine, Lakeshore Drive and North 19th Street, and now downtown on Franklin Avenue. 
Camille Johnson Realtors guide you seamlessly through the process of buying your dream home or selling your current one. Commercial, farm and ranch, or residential, Camille Johnson Realtors can smoothly and successfully lead you through any transaction with a team of 28 experienced agents who are excited about serving you. Camille Johnson Realtors services the entire greater Waco area. If you're in the market to buy or sell, contact Camille Johnson Realtors, 104 Midway Center in Woodway, or find them online at www.camillejohnson.com. Camille Johnson Realtors, elegant, charming, warm. Welcome home. Stepping into a new pair of boots is great, but stepping into the boots of a U.S. Army officer can also add confidence and leadership skills to your son or daughter's career path. There are more than 150 occupational specialties to help them find the best fit for their future. See all the things your son or daughter can achieve in our boots at GoArmy.com. U.S. Army Waco Recruiting Company, 254-598-8131 or 254-776-1543. This is 365 Sports. The 3 o'clock hour is sponsored by Waco Custom Marketplace. Meats, sweets, Texas treats, and a cut above the rest. 425 Lake Air Drive, Waco. Zach Barnett, footballscoop.com. Joins Craig Smoke. I'm David Smoke on 365 Sports. Zach, we'll get into some of the coaching thoughts, news, et cetera, extensions. But what was your thought? And Florida State has now begun that board meeting. Uh, maybe saber rattling, pumping their chest, maybe giving somebody the authority to make a decision. Your thoughts about that? Yeah, I don't believe this is saber rattling. I, I think um, they, they've rattled their saber plenty <laughs> already, and I think the ACEC has, has done what it can to placate the Knowles with their success initiative that they announced over the spring. Uh, but I mean, there's just, it's not like there there's money in the ACC that they're holding for Florida State. I think I think the ACC is prepared to pay Florida State everything they can afford, while also uh, fulfilling its obligations to the other schools. So I, I do believe Florida State is uh, looking to, to get out of the ACC by any means necessary. And where it goes from there is, is anybody's guess. Um, I, I think at this point uh, they'd be willing to, to join the Big Ten and even the Big 12 if, if the SEC and Big Ten don't make offers. And you know, does that make sense on a balance sheet? You know, I doubt it, but at this point, I don't think Florida State really cares. Zach, uh, how surprised or not surprised, I guess, are you that we are where we are already? Just how quickly things have seemed to move these last couple of years, ever since Texas and Oklahoma's, uh, you know, uh, I guess, decision to join the SEC got unveiled a little bit earlier than, than it was supposed to, and just everything seems like it hasn't really stopped in college sports since then, but... Uh, is this the, the step towards the power two that everybody speculates and, and worries or talks about? Or how do you just kind of see where we are right now in, in the college football game and landscape? I mean, I think we're, I think if we're going to take a 30,000 foot view, I think we're in a revolutionary period in college sports. And I think if you were to look back at this time we're living in now, you know, 30, 40 years from today, I, I think we'll view this as the period when college sports became went from a, a professional enterprise for everyone but the players to a, a fully professional uh, franchise where players are paid and perhaps you know colleges even you know license their 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 brand their name image likeness their facilities 
to a professional uh, football enterprise that happens to use Florida State's name, but the, the players don't even go to class. Uh, and we have a full-on minor league system. Um, I, I think that that last example is probably the most extreme, but I have seen people smarter than me throw that out there. But, yeah, I, I think we're in a period where we're kind of in the growing pains in between what college sports used to be and what college sports is going to be moving forward. And, you know, we're talking – you know, I, I think we're we're getting closer by the day to where players, you know, schools can pay their players, and there's a, some sort of collective bargaining agreement that binds players to their schools and doesn't allow them to transfer until you know a certain, you know, their sophomore year or something like that. And um, the the decisions we make, where Cal and Stanford are in the ACC, and you know, Florida State might be in the Big Twelve, you know, who knows? Uh, I think. We're we're in in the growing pains of everything sorting itself out to where we're going to be moving forward. How much past or to that point that you said could be what we look at in 20 or 30 years is almost to a point where the game itself, because college football, I'm not trying to get get off my lawn, but how much more past where we are now uh, into contracts or whatever you're mentioning is going to hurt the sport, or are they ever possibly hurt? Like the NFL, no matter what they do, no matter what they do, suspending people or go after people or wins or losses or drama or scandals, they're unbeaten. Is college football that way too? You know, I I don't want to whistle past the graveyard here, and I, I, I'm certain there is a tipping point out there. And when so many people, you know, you see – say, you know, I'm done with college sports. It's not what it used to be. Um, I'm, I'm thinking of an, an, an Oregon State fan who, you know, their their program has been full-on relegated to the minor leagues. Um, yeah, you have to take those, those people seriously. But at the same time, it, it feels like every single offseason now, and now we're not even really in the offseason, but it, it just seems like for the last three, four years, from January to August is just absolute chaos and the sport's telling, tearing itself apart from the inside and, you know, college sport that says we knew it is gone and then the games get here and nobody cares about that stuff mm-hmm. and the, the game is still great and it, it still feels like the college football that we all know and love and no one really cares about that stuff. So um, as, as long as that happens, I, I think we're fine and I think, I think the – you know, people did this with the transfer portal in NIL, and I think while you can certainly point to individual examples of a school or a player being hurt, I think in the long run, the transfer portal and NIL have been really good for college football. It's keeping players that otherwise wouldn't be in college football, it's keeping them in the game. It's allowing more talented players, that the talent to spread out, and more talented players to see the field. So I think we have to be – I think we have to keep – both options in mind yeah this certainly could make college sports worse but it could also make it better Mm -hmm. zach uh, we had this just convergence of events here right before christmas uh, with this board meeting kind of being the cherry on top but you had bowl games and national signing day and transfer portal from coaches that you talked to i mean a lot of them have voiced their frustrations in in various parts of of the things that i just mentioned but especially just looking back on this last week or two uh, what's kind of the general feeling you get in terms of just exasperation or just thoughts in general about sort of the calendar and where we are and is there any hope that uh, this thing can kind of clear up a little bit or do you expect it's always just going to kind of be a constant log jam sort of like it's turned into yeah i mean i 
I, I don't think any, I don't think there's any coach out there that would tell you that they love the calendar where it's at. You know, it, it's madness. It's, I, I mean, I, I sympathize with these guys because I, I truly don't know, like this past week, uh, when you got coaches recruiting the portal or securing their class, uh, bowl game preparations going on. I, I don't know how these guys manage, manage to stay married. Um, but at the same time, you ask these guys to go on record, and so far it seems like only Chip Kelly's willing to do so. So um, and, and in regards to fixing the calendar, as long as college football remains tethered to college, well, you know, for a guy to earn a, a spot on his new team, he's going to have to participate in spring practice. And to participate in spring practice, you have to be enrolled in the spring semester, which means you have to be enrolled by January. And so um, you've know, you got to make a decision in December. Uh, for the most part. So in the meantime, I think it's only going to get worse. Uh, I think this, this weekend, you know, starting today, next year, we'll have playoff games starting and the guys are still going to have to make decisions and and leave. And um, next year, the national championship game is like on January 20th or something like that. And we're going to have two teams, whoever's in that are probably going to lose players that would play in that game because they want to go start somewhere else. So it's a, it's crazy. It's a system that no one would design uh, from scratch if they could, but it's just a series of, of different competing interests that, that led us here. And I, unless you were to fully remove college football from the academic system, which again could happen down the road, but until then, I don't see any fixing it. Yeah. By the way, a couple of quotes from out of the board of regents meeting. One of them is uh, uh, this is from, Where did I go here? This is from the Florida State Board Chair Peter Collins. Today, we've reached a crossroads in our relationship with the ACC. I believe this board is left with no choice but to challenge the grant of rights. And Florida State has done the math and basically said it's draconian. It would be $572 million to get out of their current grant of rights. Yeah, and so... uh... (laughs) It's just the the reason Florida State signed that grant of rights and the ACC did is because they wanted ESPN to fund a network for them. And that, you know, if they had ACC network, that would solve all their problems. And so the, if you're going to ask ESPN to invest that level of capital, then it, they would need some commitment on their end that, that the ACC they're investing in will, would remain intact. And now uh, Florida State is, is turning around and, and blaming ESPN for all of its problems because of what Kirk Herbstreit said. Um, that there, I think it's basically fact within Florida State circles that ESPN decided to kick Florida State out and put Alabama in, uh, even though uh, ESPN is just as invested in Florida State football as they are in Alabama. Um, does any of that make sense? No. Does it matter? Uh, definitely not. There are other stories going on, although a lot of attention right now, obviously, on Tallahassee. But uh, G.J. Kenny getting a contract extension after just uh, one year at uh, Texas State. Your thoughts on the decision in San Marcos to try to make it, I guess, more difficult for teams that are uh, undoubtedly going to start pursuing him here in the future. Uh, Zach, uh, and, and also thoughts on just what he was able to do in year number one for the Bobcats. Yeah, I mean, I, I've written on GJ plenty over the years. Um, you know, spoken to him, spoken to people who know him well. Uh, his success does not surprise me. Um, but, you know, if you were to look 
at his path. I think he's been, I think he's been in a different job every single year since 2016. Mm-hmm. Uh, something like that. Like it's just been uh, uh, stepping up the ladder. You know, he, he's had 20 years of progress compa- compressed into like seven years. And uh, I mean, I, I think it's all deserved. Every every job he's got, he's done a good job and, and earned that promotion. And so the, it, it had to stop at some point. And I, I definitely think it's good for him. You know, as he prepares to level up to a, a power four job, I guess is the new term. Um, it's definitely good for him to sit and, and stay a while and prove that he could s- sustain his success. And it, the, the interesting thing about it is that you know, Jake Spavital, his predecessor at Texas State, was one of the first coaches to, to fully invest in the portal. And I think had a class where they didn't even sign a single high school kid and just with full portal. And that, that blew up in his face and got him fired. And, you know, GJ has, has definitely made an effort to uh, show face, as they say, for Texas State staff with Texas high schools. And, you know, he hosted the, the staff at the Texas High School Coaches Association, which is, as you guys know, located in San Marcos. Um, but at the same time, he, he's done really well in the portal as well. You can't turn around at Texas State as quickly as you have without investing in the portal. So I, I think he's done a good job of, of managing both, which you have to do these days. And um, I think he'll be a big-time head coach sooner or later. You know, uh, my question is this, and I know what, for example, UTSA is doing with Jeff Trailer, and what a great job and a nice ball win their first ever. But these schools that know that they're almost a breeding ground, and I'm not being disrespectful. I mean, schools even in the Power Five have that feeling too when they have somebody that's successful. Uh, what do you think is the percentage of how many schools bet against themselves when they don't need to with a contract extension? Oh, I, I think it's a lot. And I, I don't think that it's, it's limited to the, the quote-unquote breeding ground schools. Um, within my family, we, we have a lot of North Texas grads, so we have this conversation you know, amongst ourselves all the time because you know, a, a lot of my family members would like to see you know, North Texas hire someone who's going to stick around for mm-hmm. a long time. And you know, my caution always then is kind of just be careful what you wish for. Uh, because if, if someone comes to hire your guy away, it, it means he's done well. You know, a Big 12 school is not going to hire a coach from Texas State or North Texas who's, who's not winning. So it, I think it's, it's, it's a good sign if you're one of those schools that you have to constantly be worrying about, are we going to lose our coach? Or we, ultimately, that's where you want to be. Because otherwise, if you're if you're North Texas, UTSA, Texas State, and you're not worried about a, a Baylor taking your head coach, it means you're not winning enough. So I, I think it's you got to just kind of accept the reality of where you are. And maybe there's a coach out there who's an alum of your school, although UTSA's football is so young that they they don't have that guy. But maybe there's that that uh, golden goose candidate whose whose dream job is your job. And if so. You know, definitely great. Uh, reward him accordingly. But I think if you're an AD at one of those schools, you just got to kind of be be aware that you're constantly going to have to uh, ward off uh, ward off the the vultures, and at the same time keep a list of, of of replacements for when your guy eventually leaves. If you don't mind, Zach, one question on you mentioned uh, Spavital, who's now on the staff at. Uh, Baylor with Dave Aranda. You and I traded a few texts because, I mean, it was really not known what the final decision would be, but the decision was that Aranda stays and he brings on Spavital, among others. There's been coaching changes. Sean Bell headed to Houston. How do you feel like Aranda has done 
since what is a not new lease on life, but giving that opportunity to have a chance to turn this thing around? Yeah, I mean, I think um, in I, I think what what Dave Aranda did from 2020 to 2021 was was one of the most impressive coaching jobs uh, of this decade, and I, I don't say that lightly. It so quickly identifying, you know, he came out hired Larry Fedora as his initial OC, quickly realized that it wasn't working, which um, is not so difficult to do, but then identified, all right, here's what we need to do. Here's what would work. And here's the guy who can come in and do it. And they led to, you know, in my opinion, the best season in Baylor history, winning the, the big 12, the sugar bowl in 2021. And so obviously the hope is uh, if he, if he did that once, he can do it again. Um, and if you're Dave Miranda, I mean, he's now in his third offensive coordinator in, he probably won't get a fourth no. offensive coordinator job or fourth offensive coordinator hire. Excuse me. So this one needs to hit or there, there's going to be change in Waco. That's just, that's just the reality of it. Thank you, man. Appreciate it. Zach jumping in with us early football scoop. If you want to know some of what's happening, uh, a lot of what's happening with the coaching carousel, not just the head coaching carousel or changes, but also other position coaches, coordinators. That's a good, as a great follow at football scoop. Thanks to Zach. Barnett. Now, that Florida State meeting, Craig, just going back to what we mentioned, we're going to get to Mickey Spagnuolo in a moment, but yeah, this is like laying down the gauntlet. Now, what they do with it, we've reached a crossroads in our relationship with the ACC. This board is left with no choice but to challenge the grant of rights. It's one thing to say it. It's another thing legally to do it, but it's draconian was the word that used by Peter Collins on the grant of rights that they are hit, uh, they're uh, hooked into with the ACC. Yeah, well, I mean, trying to parse through some of these tweets here. I mean, we're sitting there talking to Zach while this is all going on, so we didn't get to hear it live. I tried to listen in during the commercial as best I could, and it was uh, about, you know, 15, 20 minutes of, uh, you know, just straight talking and uh, rolling through a bunch of different bullet points, um, including the fact that we now know what the buyout number would be to get out of the ACC, and that number is $572 million. Right. Uh, that was the number put out there on uh, on the FSU Board of Trustees video about what it would take. Um, they're going through their complaint, and uh, it said that they will vote on filing today to challenge the ACC grant of rights. So, yes, they are, in fact, going to challenge, uh, saying that they'd been left with no choice but to challenge the legitimacy of the grant of rights and its severe withdrawal penalties, which does include over half a billion dollars uh, in direct fees and what also includes lost revenues uh, that they would be leaving. And so, yeah, um, the, the buzzwords are crossroads, um, buzzwords, uh, withdrawal penalties, uh, legitimacy, challenge. Uh, those are all kind of in that, that word salad of, of, you know, the various things that have been said so far, but all are words that tell you kind of what's what the vibe is, right? Um, and so there's some other bullet points that, uh, he went over, they had a chart that was up there showing the way that the buyout escalated, and it's pretty significant. It was, you know, but a few years ago where there was little to no penalty. Like and now, $21 million yeah, or $12 million. Yeah. Now here it is, it's $572 million. So it, it skyrocketed. There's also, and this is part of needing to be able to, to hear it and sort through it a little bit, but there was talk about how um, the contract um, – Let's see. Uh, well, here's one part from uh, Nicole Auerbach. FSU lawyer states the ACC told members in 2016 that there was an ultimatum from ESPN 
that the network would not enter into any future media rights deals with the league and which forced members to extend their grant of rights through 2036. A lawyer also said that uh, ESPN has a unilateral right to exercise a a nine-year option to extend its media deal with the ACC from 2027 through 2036, which it has not done yet. Um, and so what that means is is that because they haven't done that yet, there is no guaranteed media rights, according to this lawyer, past 2027 for the ACC. So that seems pretty significant when you're talking about how, oh, they're, they're linked up to 2036, and how could they ever get out of that? But there's nothing past 2027, which is just four years away, that guarantees them anything from the ESPN side of things. And also saying that Jim Phillips signed the amendment in 2021 that gives ESPN until February of 2025, so two years from now, to decide if it wants to extend its contract with the ACC beyond 2027. So um, you you hear that, and that certainly changes the story a bit uh, from where you're going, oh, well, there's nothing until 2036. Well, there's nothing money-wise guaranteed past 2027. So that puts things in a little bit more perspective on why this is a bit more imminent well, or why this is a bit more well, closer, you know, train coming down the tracks than it appears it, it was before today's meeting. Remember 2027, you brought that up. Why that? Is that that time when the ESPN can have that look at their contract with the ACC? Is that kind of what I was told by a source within the uh, collegiate athletics administration? Is that the possibility? I don't know. Um, well, I think it would clearly be that, given that think, they just said that yeah. there's nothing guaranteed past 2027. And that's so. something that we've asked people, some of the great writers, even Dan Wetzel, among others, and they did not know that or had not heard that. But that's something I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, not because it was me. Someone told me that. And I was like, whoa, that's a one-way street. Yeah, it says the FSU lawyer said that they, again, exercised a or – the ESPN has a unilateral right to exercise a nine-year option in – you know, that would be the 2027 to 2036 option, but it has not done that yet. So because they have not done that yet, ESPN, uh, there is nothing for the ACC guaranteed past 2027 when yep. it comes to revenue. So uh, that's the gist of that. Um, he, you know, also mentioned the ultimatum from ESPN about uh, not entering into any future media rights deals unless they had originally agreed to extend that grant of rights through 2036. Also, the uh, attorney, David Ashburn, uh, said as well that uh, the media rights contract uh, with the ACC and ESPN required them to have a minimum of 15 members. So that's why you saw them scatter, uh, you know, real quickly and, and throw that net over Cal, Stanford, and SMU to bring them into the fold so that they did remain at that minimum threshold. So, yeah, that's uh, that's from various reporters, uh, some of that from Nicole Auerbach, some of that from uh, Ross Dellinger, Brandon Marcello, all the, the, the usual suspects. Um, but yeah, David Ashburn's asking for, or David C. Ashburn, uh, asking for permission to file a complaint uh, from the Board of Trustees uh, that would challenge the withdrawal penalties, including that big $572 million figure, and uh, the legal arguments, uh, restraint of trade, unenforceable withdrawal penalties, so they're saying they can't really enforce that, breach of contract, and violation on a, a violation of public policy. Those are the big bullet points that he hit on as far as uh, what they see as being uh, areas that they could challenge when it comes to this. So uh, a lot to unpack from that, and uh, I don't know if he's still talking at this point or not, but uh, there's mm-hmm. a lot of information in there to try and sort through. But, you know, they've got their ducks in a row. Clearly they've got their plan of attack and pointing out some of those areas that I just mentioned, and 
they've obviously got a, a big reason to want to challenge that because they don't want to be in that league, and they sure as hell don't want to pay $572 million. Mm. Um, I know the Saudis could pay that and, and not even lose sleep over it, but I don't know, man. That's a That's a whole heck of a lot of money, no matter what kind of a business arrangement you're in. That's something that's just... I, I, you, gotta, you know, you could even settle half of that. That's still a massive chunk. That's three, three times more than what Texas and Oklahoma uh, ended up spending uh, to get out of the Big 12 a year early, much less that much earlier. Uh, also, a couple of the notes. They, they, they made – listen, it's a travesty about what happened to Florida State two weeks ago. Our actions today are less about the events the last couple of weeks and far more about the actions of the ACC leadership over the last 10 years and what confronts the ACC over the next 13. One thing that sometimes fans don't understand is the grant of rights is not between the ESPN and the teams within the ACC. The grant of rights is with the conference. And underneath of that umbrella, of course, are the teams, whatever conference it might be. So FSU, I don't think their, their deal is not with ESPN because this is not ESPN and Florida State are not connected here when it comes to the grant of rights. It's with the conference and not with the teams within the conference, even though, again, that's part of the clump. And one of their big arguments, too, is um, basically the ACC hasn't done their, their job. Um, I saw this from Mitt Winter um, as far as the – multiple causes of action that's in this complaint. Um, they're saying the grant of rights and the ACC withdrawal fee, uh, fees violate antitrust law in Florida. They're saying the grant of rights and withdrawal fees are unenforceable. Uh, they are claiming ble- uh, breach of contract, breach of fiduciary duty, and unconscionability, unconscionability and violation of public policy. Um, and so basically one of the, the arguments here as far as the um, – the let's see the breach of fiduciary duty I guess goes back to just the negotiations with uh, ESPN and and the fact that the ACC uh, did not uh, create an appropriate I guess value for their media rights and so they they got shortchanged there and uh, yeah that's that's a lot of the various things that have been brought up by David C Ashburn in this Zoom meeting with the Board of Regents and now his. Uh, request to go ahead and pursue this further legal action versus the ACC. So he's he's laid out his case, and we'll see what goes on from here. Ross Dellinger, again, you mentioned David C. Ashburn, ESPN, that unilateral. This is what was said a couple of weeks ago when I was told, and I was told by somebody in, within the business, the industry, there aren't a lot of people that even know that exist. And I remember when I said that, and I mentioned to a couple of national writers, I said, we asked Dave, Dan Wessel yesterday, that there was this one-way street, not only the grant of rights through 2036, not only the, the buyout clause or what it would cost the exit fees, but also that the, uh, the, the network had a chance to say, huh, I think what we're going to do in 2027, boom, it's a one-way street and everybody has to live with it. So FSU has uh, given their, uh, put their case out there. Now, what is next? $572 million is what it would cost, at least for now. And about 20, well, 15 or so years, 10 years ago, it was about $21 million. So yeah, that's there part we of are their... with that. We have Mickey Spagnuolo in a moment. Then we're going to get to John Kurtz on K-State a little after 10 o'clock. As part of their argument, I guess, against this be, you know, basically being unfair or unenforceable is uh, pointing to the fact of what a skyrocketing jump in, in money that that – potential out took uh, from being $20 million, you know, not too long ago to now being $572 million 
to be able to get out. So, uh, again, they've laid out a lot of points that some were brought up beforehand, um, some that are now a little bit more clarified, but now asking for Board of Regents approval. And once that's given, I guess, here in the next few minutes or however that works, then they will go and pursue and they will go file that uh that I guess you'd call it a complaint or, or whatnot, but uh, they'll they'll go ahead and start the legal process of challenging the grant of rights. So yep. Florida State's doing what many expected them to do, and we'll see uh, how successful they are. But uh, a lot of people on pins and needles will be watching this because if they're successful, then that opens the door for everybody and across the country with a grant of rights, but particularly the ACC schools. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's fascinating. Alan Williams, why they why did they sign it? Why, my question is, if your grant of rights was so awful, violated all these antitrust rules, why did you do it in the first place? And that's a question that even for, uh, Paul, an FSU alum, has brought up. Uh, they weren't in really much of a position because they needed to get an extension. They needed to have that deal. And pretty much everybody that was at Florida State at the time, I believe from the president to whoever else, the AD, et cetera, they're not even a part of SF, FSU right now. Um, Kalani FSU saying they cannot afford the exit fee in the Board of Trustees meeting right now. The lawyers in uh, the exit fee is not workable or viable path. We've just been saying that. So, but we appreciate you putting that out yeah, in the chat. But wow. It, it, uh, oh, it, Paxton asked this question. Did Brett McMurphy just say, no, Zach Barnett just say that at some point there won't even be academics as a part of all this? Yeah, that's exactly what he mentioned. Because there are sometimes thoughts right now, even though – everybody's pretty much trying to stay within that, I guess you could say, uh, that what you're supposed to be about, but you wonder if that's slipping too, that it is such a pay-for-sport, pay-for-play, that's all that matters is football or men's basketball, that eventually that doesn't even become a part of college football. I hope to God it never gets to that point, but I I also never thought that we'd get to the point we are right now. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I think that that's going to be – somewhat uh, suicidal for a lot of the the sport out there if you sit there and try to make it now suddenly about just the money aspect of this which you know some could argue that's sort of been the way it's trending for a while now but this would lead to what you know when you hear the big break off or things like that that could be what this is is all right you want to go be a semi-pro minor league nfl team florida state you go join up the schools that want to do that but the big Ten's not going to stop with academics you know, like the Big Ten's not going to suddenly stop caring about school. I, I don't believe that for a second. I don't believe a lot of the schools in the ACC want to do that. I don't think there's um, a lot of schools across America that are interested in doing that. So, you know, have added SEC, I guess. But, I mean, I don't know. I think Texas is still pretty strong in academics, and that's going to matter to them. So sure it is. Yeah. That's, that's, a, that's a bigger mess that's going to have to be sorted through. But there is a school of thought of, yeah, you basically eliminate the school part. You, like um, – lease out your your brand your Florida State brand and your minor league team and that's that's been one element of of this discussion that I've never really latched onto because again what's the point like just it's the, it's the XFL at that point but I guess shinier and with better talent in some cases but that's where I could see there being a rift that's unrecoverable or um that, that, that some fans won't be able to overcome if you suddenly just split from the schools or, or the I academics entirely the, yeah I think even the most passionate college football bases, university fan bases would still go, wait a minute. Uh, Alan Williams, isn't the bottom line of college athletics, the end of the day, the mission statement to educate young men and women, guess it's turned into the NFL minor leagues. That's exactly, Alan, what we said. We do need yeah. to break. We have, Go ahead and finish it out, Craig, and we come to Mickey Spagnola on the Cowboys game this weekend in Miami.
Well, uh, I wanted to mention something that Bob's, and you're right. That's exactly, I mean, that's the, that's the big conversation right now is like, what are we doing? Where is this going? And what is this supposed to be in the, in the long run? But again, that's a, that's a deeper conversation that's going to have to play out some more. But we just saw Bob Thompson in response to Nicole Auerbach, who was talking about the, the ESPN unilateral rights, that nine-year option to extend its deal from 27 to 36, which it hasn't done. And the fact that they haven't done that means there's no guaranteed media for the SEC or for, for the ACC beyond 2027. Um, that was an amendment in 2021 that gives ESPN until February of 2025 to decide if it wants to extend its contract beyond 2027. So I don't know if I mentioned that part specifically. Yes, yes. Um, but Bob Thompson, in response to that, said that he can't believe that uh, the ACC agreed to that yep, clause no. and that he, they must have just really wanted the ACC network so badly that they agreed to that. But uh, that looks like it could be something that costs them dearly in the long run, and certainly it's being brought up as, as a big point of contention today so and yeah. something we mentioned a couple of weeks ago that everyone was like huh and bob even said that to us yesterday yeah. he can't believe that they would do that and now we now know they did they did. All right, when we come back, Cowboys in Miami. Mickey normally joins us on Thursday. We'll have him on here in a minute. Then at 4, well, a little bit after 10 o'clock, John Kurtz on K-State has not been their best football year. Uh, by the way, speaking of them, Jerome Tang beat Paul Mills at Wichita State last night in the former coaching tree of uh, Scott Drew. This is 365 Sports. IdealMRI.com in the Central Texas Marketplace, and they do two things that help you out, the patient. You are the patient, and you have a chance to save a ton of money, and it's not like some discount. It is what Ideal MRI believes in, that an MRI should not be expensive to the point where it breaks you. $492 is not cheap, but compare it to the average of $1,100 or more, which is the average, and so in some case, I remember one time at a hospital system, I went in for an MRI, it was like $1,600. Ideal MRI is $492 or less every single time. They'll file the insurance papers for you, and possibly it could be less. And on top of that, their MRI machine, it is fantastic. It is absolutely state-of-the-art technology of what you need i have seen the images when they've come down if i've had an mri at 11 a.m or at two o'clock or even one time at 5 30 or a little bit after the show and i've been able to get the images almost immediately doesn't take a lot of time the doctor whoever your doctor is orthopedic surgeon or whoever will get the images immediately in the portal and look at them too. Ideal MRI with Dr. Rob Maxey and his partners who have put together an incredible business for you, the customer, when you have something that bothers you, aches and pains, a muscle, ligament, or more. At IdealMRI.com. Right call can make all the difference on and off the field. I'm Mark Stewart with Bird Colgen Ford. When it's time for a new car, truck, or SUV, Bird Colgen Ford is the right call. Come check out our award-winning lineup of best-selling models in their class, like the Mustang, Explore, Expedition, F-150, and Super Duty. Make the right call for your next vehicle at Bird Colgen Ford. Bird Colgen Ford proudly supports Baylor Athletics. Sikkim Bears. 
Ideal MRI, we feel blessed to be part of the Waco community. We're a small family business here in Central Texas. At times like this, the cost of health care has never been more important. And unfortunately, significant illnesses and injuries still occur. And that's why Ideal MRI is open and here to serve you through this difficult time. So if you need an MRI, ask your doctor about Ideal MRI. You can schedule online in minutes at IdealMRI.com or call 833-IDEAL-MRI. Baylor Scott & White Southwest Sports Medicine Orthopedics, the team physicians for Baylor Athletics, diagnosing and treating all sports-related injuries, including concussions. These specialists also provide orthopedic services for athletes and non-athletes alike. Whether it's knee or shoulder pain, a wrist injury, orthopedic spine care, and even an arthritis and total joint clinic. Trust the doctors Baylor Athletics trust. Baylor Scott & White Southwest Sports Medicine Orthopedics wants to get you back in the game. Waco Custom Marketplace, 425 Lake Air Drive in Waco is your holiday item superstore. Half spiral hams, 8 to 10 pounds for $4.45 a pound. Pit hams, 12 pounds for $4.45 a pound. Bone-in hams, 18 to 22 pounds for $3.40 per pound. Whole raw turkeys from 12 to 16 pounds for $2.50 a pound. Whole smoked turkeys, that's smoked turkeys at 9 to 12 pounds for $3.75 a pound. And many pit hams, 6 to 8 pounds for $5.99 a pound. And don't forget, they have full service butcher shop where you can find what you want, pork, poultry, seafood, and beef. And I bring up the beef because big beef tenderloin or a prime rib. Brian Bauer and the Bauer family, full service bakery with fresh baked kolaches every morning and bread and cold beer and wine, tailgate needs from pellet fuel to charcoal. Waco Custom Marketplace and the holiday items, 425 Lake Air Drive in Waco. This is 365 Sports. Text us at 254-339-1122. The text line is sponsored by Riverbend Liquor and Wine with the most extensive variety of craft beer in Waco. A hidden gem on Lakeshore Drive and 19th Street. Cowboys in Miami coming up this weekend. Buffalo was a disaster in, in a lot of different ways. It did not go well, but they had been on such a hot streak and Philadelphia losing. That also gives Dallas still that tiebreaker as of now with three weeks left to play. Mickey Spagnola, DallasCowboys.com. We're going to get back to college football discussion a little bit after the 10 o'clock Central hour. Mickey, this is this going to be a 50-45 to 45 game with the way these two offenses can go up and down the field? Well, it very well could be a track meet. Uh, you're exactly right because uh, Miami scores a lot of points. Uh, the Cowboys score a lot of points at home, right? Not so much <laughs> on the road. <laughs> I just I just figured out after they scored 40 in the season opener at the Giants on the road, by the way, uh, the next six road games, they've averaged 16 points a game. Mm. So. Uh, and that includes the 33 right in there. So, yeah, uh, you know, they've got to be able to pick up the pace and uh, it has to be a much better offensive performance than it was in Buffalo. You know, what happened in Buffalo, I think we all got, uh, you know, focused on the fact that they gave up 266 yards rushing. And it's like, okay, fine, but that shouldn't affect what you do on offense, only scoring really three points when the game was on the line. So, uh, offensively, they've got to be much better against Miami if they're going to keep pace. 
All right, the Dolphins have, obviously, Tyreek Hill, who did not play last week, so that'll be interesting uh, if he does because he is as, uh, I guess, electric as anybody in the game. But they do have others, Waddle, et cetera. But they also have Raheem Mostert, who has 20-plus rushing touchdowns. So are they a team that throws it well or a team that runs it well or both? I think it's both, David. I, I was shocked when I saw Mostert's uh, uh, stats. And then you throw in uh, uh, A-Chan. Yeah, yeah, the A&M kid. Averaging eight and a half yards a carry, by mm-hmm. the way. Yep. Uh, uh, and so, yeah, it's a pretty electric offense, but you know, when we think about it, that that's what we're talking about. Well, I wonder if they're talking about, you know, okay, what do we do with CD lamb? Who's got 103 receptions, um, from a reception standpoint, second most in the, uh, in the NFL next to Keenan Allen, uh, I believe he's fourth in receiving yards with 1300 he's only eight behind being in uh second uh second place so uh yeah the cowboys got some stuff too that they got to worry about so that's why you know what you said to start might be pretty accurate uh because the cowboys have been known to uh you know be able to throw the ball now they've only been i think okay running the ball and to me uh, maybe the biggest separation against what two teams that are ten and four, two teams that are leading their divisions, uh, two teams that you know need to be good down the stretch here uh, if they're going to have a chance at winning uh, their divisions. Two really good quarterbacks that are uh, second and third in the quarterback rankings right now behind Purdy. They've got a lot of similarities, but the one thing that is different is they run the ball awfully, awfully well, and the Cowboys are only 19th in the league in stopping the run. And so, to me, that could be the deciding factor in this game. Uh, if Miami's able to run the ball that well, or if the Cowboys can figure out how to stop them uh, running on the edges, which Buffalo did and gave them a pretty good blueprint going into this game. All right, so how are Zach Martin and Tyron Smith? Tyron, because of his age and because he's been broken down before, Hall of Famer at some point, whenever, uh, and Zach Martin too. But Martin went out. Tyron Smith uh, has been, for the most part, really healthy this year. And that's, of course, been a big deal. But what are their statuses? As, as What's the status for them right now? Yeah, I think, we'll, I think they're optimistic about Zach Martin uh, being able to go uh, with the, what was it, a hamstring, hamstring injury, I believe it was, quad. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm sure, you know, obviously they don't do much on, on, on Friday. Uh, Saturday uh, will be a deciding factor, I think, for Tyron, uh, if he can get back. You know, anytime you start talking neck back with him, you get a little concerned. So we'll see. I mean, he was able to finish the game, so you know, I guess that's somewhat optimistic. But uh, Mike McCarthy has contended that by you know what he does on Saturday, determine what happens on Sunday. I think Zach has uh, somewhat uh, ability to, to get back. We'll see on that one. And you know, they're in the same boat. They lost their starting center, Connor Williams, and two of their other starters on the offensive line uh, have not practice this week they're nursing injuries too so you know when we talk about similarities well there's an- another one both teams uh having worries going into this game about their offensive line and the two defensive 
pass rushers, uh, pass, I guess you could say, pass rush from either team is pretty dynamic too, right? Doesn't Miami, yeah, no, have, like nifty, Miami have like 50 right. sacks this year? 48. Uh, I believe they're second in the NFL. The Cowboys have 40. So Bradley Chubb leads the team with nine and a half, and he was just named AFC Defensive Player of the Week. And then Micah Parsons with 12 and a half. Uh, so he's tied for second with the most uh, sacks uh, in the league, uh, or third, I think, because, Chubb, yeah, second. Uh, Chubb's got nine and a half, but they've got four guys that have at least six and a half sacks. So they've pretty been pretty good on that defensive front. Uh, and, you know, the Cowboys haven't been bad with the 40, 40 sacks. Uh, so, yeah, another similarity. Uh, and, you know, both teams have to make a priority, too, uh, protecting the quarterback. You know, you, you sit there and you got, you know, I'm going to run the ball, run the ball, but you better be able to protect your quarterback. But to me, David, one of the best ways to protect the quarterback is to be able to run the football. Mm-hmm. Mickey Spagnola with us, DallasCowboys.com. So last thing for you, Mickey, we appreciate you jumping on early with us today and the day after you're normally with us. So they got thumped, no doubt. Buffalo beat them up. Uh, and Buffalo, their record is deceiving. They've played a hell of a schedule. So, Miami, if they come out of this with a loss and blow the tiebreaker that they got back because of the Philadelphia not finishing the deal, how much of a blow could that be? For I'm sorry, for for the Dallas. Cowboys, or, yeah, for Dallas. for Dallas, yeah, yeah, you know, you got to take care of your own business. Uh, there's only so much help you can count on from uh, the rest of the league, and you know. I, I, I went through the tiebreakers and, and, and just did just to see uh, if both teams went out, if the Cowboys and the Eagles went out and they uh, both finished 13 and four, uh, you would have to go to the fifth tiebreaker to break the tie, which would be uh, strength of victory. Meaning if you add up the teams you beat, their, their victories, uh, who has the, who's played the hardest schedule and Philadelphia would eventually win that if it went that far. So, uh, can't afford to lose, uh, because then if you lose one, then somebody else has got to help you to maintain that tie. Mickey, Merry Christmas, sir. And we're off next week. Happy New Year as well. And, uh, next couple of games, obviously interesting with Miami, Detroit. Thanks for your time. We appreciate you, buddy. Good to be with you, and uh, Merry Christmas to you guys, and go go Missouri Tigers in the Cotton Hey, <laughs> what a nice – I still don't think they're getting enough attention. At 10-2, and two, they played Georgia well. They're good, and you get to watch and them in your backyard. I'm just hoping that more people – more guys from Ohio State decide not to play in the game. <laughs> it's, I don't know. Craig was even bringing this up. Thanks for your time. But bowl okay. games, do they have enough players to play where you even count the wins or the losses? If you win, hell yeah. If you lose, you're like, ah, maybe not. All right, when we come back, John Kurtz covers K-State. We'll have him on. Chris Kleiman and company getting ready for their bowl game. Mentioned last night that USF hammered Syracuse. There's also a game today. We'll get to that and more, some of the Big 12 schedule. But John Kurtz on K-State trying to wrap up their year. How would he label it? And his thoughts about what's happening with FSU, the ACC, and could there be some shrapnel that's headed to the Big 12 because of it. This is 365 Sports. Petty Clinic, LowT.com. Dr. Kent Petty can help you become the high-performance man you want to be, used to be, need to be. 
hey, uh, one out of every three to four men have symptomatic issues of low testosterone. It's not, it's like, it's just, you might be that person. Some uh, battle even, unfortunately, like heart disease from hereditary issues. Some battle uh, what could be high blood pressure, uh, cholesterol. It, it's part of life. And then some, you might be battling low testosterone as you get older. Not probably when you're in your 20s or even 30s, but maybe it starts to dip a little bit. And when it does, you'll know because your sleep habits aren't the same. Your sex drive is not the same. Your energy and focus is not the same. And that could be an assortment of other reasons, but one of the reasons could be your testosterone. That's part of low testosterone. And so if that's the case or you feel like that might be happening, I'll help you out here. Dr. Kent Petty, PettyClinicLowT.com. Contact the email phone number, top left-hand corner of the website. Tell them I sent you. They will set you up to get your blood work. You go get your blood work. They take care of that appointment for you. You go get your blood drawn. They get the results. Dr. Petty and his staff will contact you if it's too low. And if it is, give you the option of a program to put you and also your testosterone level at a higher level. Dr. Kent Petty and Petty Clinic, LowT.com. Be the man you want to be, need to be, and used to be at Petty Clinic, LowT.com. Oh, Richard Carr, Buick, GMC, how lovely are your SUVs? Oh, Richard Carr, Buick, GMC, I love the trucks you have for me. Strong and tough with luxury. to know why Stonewood Dental is so successful? Listen to what happy customers have to say. It's pleasant. It's different than any other dentist's office. I really feel like they care. And it's not that you're here for two hours waiting on someone to take care of you. It's quick and easy. And, you know, I bring my kids and my kids love being here too. They really love the treasure box. staff is really nice and accommodating, real friendly. You feel more like home. It's not sterile looking. Everybody has their own personalized rooms with decorations and decor, and they'll even have a blanket for you when it's cold. (laughs) I've recommended people to actually come here, and they are patients now. I really love it here. It feels like family. Learn more. Stonewood-Dental.com. TFNB Your Bank for Life is the official local bank of Baylor Athletics. Find out why more Central Texans are making TFNB their bank for life. Sign up for our Edge Checking and Savings accounts to earn interest or cash back. With five convenient locations and an award-winning mobile app, banking has never been easier. TFNB Your Bank for Life. Member FDIC. Nations Brewing Company has 16 different beers on draft with a new beer every Friday. It also offers two air-conditioned tap rooms, a large indoor beer hall, a second-floor mezzanine offering a great overview of the brewing company and equipment and patio where you can relax under the shade. Plus, you can now experience the new Three Nations Beer Garden Grill on our shaded patio. Grab a cold beer and enjoy a bite from our freshly prepared and delicious menu. Street tacos, quesadillas, freshly cooked burgers and dogs, and veggie burgers too. Nachos and and so much more all prepared and cooked on site. So come visit the award-winning Three Nations Brewing Company on East Vandergrift off I-35 in Carrollton. 
Developed by Startup Waco, a nonprofit organization, GXG is a program designed to support the entrepreneurial development of Baylor University student-athletes through NIL activations. GXG works with partners and donors to offer a suite of options to student-athletes, including connections with local businesses and nonprofits, entrepreneurial development, and other avenues to broaden the NIL profile of student-athletes. The program helps student-athletes maximize their platforms and offers a comprehensive support system for them to create and grow new businesses that not only benefit themselves, but also uplift the local economy. Fans who wish to support student-athletes can donate to GXG via the GXG NIL Fund, BaylorBears.com slash GXG. Donors may wish to support the general fund or direct funds to specific sports. Oversight of the NIL Fund is managed by the Board of Directors of Startup Waco and the Baylor NIL Advisory Council. GXG is a program of Startup Waco, a tax-exempt organization under Internal Revenue Code Section 501c3. Donors should consult their tax advisors regarding the tax deductibility of donations to GXG. Contributions to support NIL activations through GXG can be made at BaylorBears.com slash GXG. For more information, follow at GXG underscore GreenXGold on social media and visit the official website www.gxg.startupwaco.com. is 365 Sports, powered by Sikkim365.com. The 4 o'clock hour is sponsored by Boozer's Jewelers, the wedding ring store, specializing in custom jewelry and repair, all in-house. Now here's David Smoke and Craig Smoke. What a day it's been. Yesterday, of course, you wake up, it's the FSU having a board meeting they have made a decision on what they want to do moving forward. We'll have that for you in just a moment. Also, last night, the Pac-12 coming to a truce. Washington State, Oregon State protected a lot of what they're going to get, even all of what is a, a part of the Pac-12. The other 10 get to walk away, give up some money from 23-24, but eventually move on in that particular way. We're going to have John Kurt from the KC Sports Network here in just a moment. But I want to put this note up. That's from the Florida State's Board of Trustees meeting. From Brandon Marcello. Hang on. on. Okay. All right. All right. Because I want everyone to be able to read it as well. Here we go. Florida State's Board of Trustees unanimously approves motion to file a lawsuit against the ACC, challenging the grant of rights. The university's counsel will file the lawsuit in Tallahassee Circuit Court today. The wheels are in motion as as FSU tries to leave the conference. This wasn't just saber-rattling. This was a vote. This was a decision, and they now move forward. John Kurtz joins us from the KC Sports Network. Craig Smoke with me as well. And, John, here we go again. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I mean, just when you thought you might get a nice little, uh, you know, maybe holiday break, break after the end of the season. Uh, no, we're right back into it. It's it's actually been, I'm kind of getting used to it at this point as somebody who, you know, really pays attention to it and covers it. It's like a nice flow. You get the in season and you go straight into realignment season. You know, there's just no break for uh, anybody at all. But, I mean, we shouldn't really be surprised, right? I mean, Florida State is, 
they've made it pretty obvious throughout this entire process. They're, they're very serious about this. And although a lot of it to me seems kind of like a toddler complaining at the checkout line that they're not being given the candy bar that they want, um, it may work. I mean, I don't know. Like realignment has been a, a crazy deal. And I, I certainly see some of the arguments that they are making, particularly that they maybe got bullied a little bit by ESPN into this. But at the end of the day, like I don't know if they still signed on the dotted line. I, it's, it's going to be really convoluted. I think that's the thing that uh, I guess maybe is good for us that are in the, the content game as far as this goes, or they're just really interested in this. It is going to be fascinating, absolutely fascinating to see how this plays out. But I would just kind of close by saying that the fact that so much of this is occurring on literally the Friday before Christmas <laughs> uh, tells you, one, just how serious Florida State is about this, and two, just how little they care about the ACC at all. I mean y- – you have to really not like somebody and be upset to be doing all this on, on December 22nd. So, I mean, hey, uh, cheers. Cheers to Florida State on that front, I suppose. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, John, there's obviously just so much uh, going on when it, it comes to realignment, as you, you referenced there. Uh, out west, we got the decision yesterday where the Pac-12 saga has come to a close, it seems. Oregon State, Washington State come into an agreement with the other 10 schools. And, uh, you know, some of the details still to be figured out. But they basically got what they, they wanted in the end. And now they can move forward with their various arrangements and what that looks like in the next couple of years. And now we've got this situation with the ACC. I'm not asking you to necessarily predict, because none of us know how any of this is really going to fall. But from a Big 12 perspective and from your own personal perspective, what are you hoping? What are you thinking when it comes to the Big 12 and kind of sitting back right now? Do you have any personal preference on what kind of a move you'd like to see the conference make, depending on how some of the uh, chips may fall here over the uh, coming years with the various storylines? Yeah, well, first of all, just like selfishly as a, a Big 12 fan and a fan of a school that has always been in a position that doesn't have many options, I, I am glad that things seem to be settling down for Oregon State and Washington State a little bit here because I, I certainly feel for them. And have a, a lot of empathy for them in the position that they're in. And so I'm glad that, I mean, they clearly have the superior case and all of that. So I'm very much glad that it now seems like the, the other 10 are just going to kind of back down and give Oregon State and Washington State the easiest path forward possible uh, from where they sit right now. As far as the Big 12 goes, like, I think it's, I think it's a time to be just kind of uh, aggressively waiting in the wings, like aggressively lurking, I guess is how I would position what I think the Big 12 should be doing right now. And I'm, I'm quite confident that Brett Yormark is um, is absolutely going to be doing some lurking now, waiting for, for things to fall apart to scoop up what you can. I know that Brett McMurphy, he was the one guy to float out yesterday that the, the Big 12 could be a possibility along with the Big 10 and the SEC for Florida State. I mean, I really failed to see how Florida State would be this aggressive in doing all of this, pay whatever it is that they're going to have to pay, which seems like it's going to be like a nine-figure penalty even if they get that reduced some I have a very hard time seeing them doing that to come to the Big 12 to make marginally more money I mean you know I don't know what that would wind up being five to ten million dollars a year more maybe uh if they were going to come to this league they're going to be in the Big 10 of the SEC I think pretty much come come hell or high water so you turn your attention to you know me Dan Wetzel pointed this out but it's something I've been talking about for a while like Brett Yormark loves basketball we know that. We know that he's been working on a, a plan to try and decouple the, the basketball rights eventually and, and make more money that way. And feels like perhaps that's a market inefficiency right now is, is the basketball part of this. Well, if you're talking about being able to land Louisville and Duke out of this from the ACC and you compare that with what you have 
right now in basketball. And I, we'll see what happens with Gonzaga. I know, you know, they just added Oregon State and Washington State, it sounds like, too, for basketball. I don't know if that will have much of an effect there at all. But he's talking, I mean, he could potentially put together like an absolute, absolute superpower of basketball conference here. So I'm sure he is going to be having his eye on that. And I, I definitely like the idea of that. And then, you know, if it's like a pit, um, I, Virginia Tech, NC State schools like that always seem to be borderline whether or not that they get reshuffled into the Big Ten or the SEC out of all of this. But if the, those sorts of schools are going to be there, yeah. I mean, I, th- this to me has been the idea the entire time. You, you try to position yourself as the third strongest conference out there and be the landing spot when everything else blows up. And right now, Florida State has has their hand on the TNT. They've got their hand on the dynamite, ready to just blow that whole thing up. So I think you just you just be waiting there with a parachute, uh, ready to take everybody in that that you think is worthy uh, of, of coming to the Big 12. Yeah, and you don't want to see a conference struggle, but, I mean, the Big 12 is not like they haven't had some scars. They always seem to be like a cat with nine lives. The ACC now looks they, – they really – how desperate must they have been? And, you know, the question is, why would they have done this? Bob Thompson, uh, I just sent a note to him because we brought this up to Bob yesterday about the opt-out. Um, bizarre to me that they would let it be in that agreement. They must not have been sold on whether or not the ACC network would be successful. Bizarre that the ACC would let it in. ESPN must not have been sold on the fact the ACC network would work. He also mentioned ESPN has to be almost pissed off right now because of that news being mentioned by Florida State today because now it is a war between ESPN, not the ACC, but also their future with FSU. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of stuff with that. You know, I mean, <laughs> you're, you're right. ESPN does have to be sitting back, like, like really Florida State. But again, nobody should be surprised. Like Florida State is the embodiment of Florida man. Uh, Florida man's going to be on basalt and do a lot of crazy stuff. So that's that's kind of where Florida State is at right now. But yeah, I mean, when you talk about, you know, the news that hey, the contract actually really only goes through 2027, and that ESPN has the right to extend it to 2036. I mean, we now have that news out there. So. So I'm talking about. I mean, it just feels like so much of this is really convoluted and messy. And I, I think for Florida State, they're, they're, the correct strategy probably is to muck it up as much as possible, right? Like throw as much mud as you can out there, which would be dropping little bits of information like this, and see what what comes out of it. Because the the basic optics of it are: look, Florida State signed this contract like everybody else did and got locked into it. What is their case really? And if, if that's what you're looking at, you don't have, like, the conventional way of going about doing things. You've got to do it in a more unconventional way. And Florida State, that is that is fighting dirty, getting this information out there, and uh, trying to make the best of it. And uh, I think that's kind of the strategy I expected them to take the whole time. And today was just like a magnum opus of it with everything that was coming out in those in those board meetings. I mean, it is crazy. Actually, I, one of my favorite tweets from today was uh, from John Wilner, who said that <laughs> in terms of watchability uh, – Florida State board meetings and then like eight greater than signs UC Regents meetings uh, with everything that he was having to watch with the, the the Cal Regents going on with UCLA and Cal in that battle and that is just so true and so emblematic of uh, the cultural differences and just everything between Florida and California so I just they pull up some popcorn at this point. So John elsewhere uh, when it comes to Kansas State I know we'll, we'll talk about the bowl game here in a second but with National Signing Day we, we've been talking about just how sort of weird it is the the confluence of events in the calendar you, it sort of gets lost now in the transfer portal but how would you uh, kind of summarize Kansas State's early signing day efforts is it uh, 
where people feel like they should be? I, I notice it's not near the top of the Big 12. Is that kind of understood going in? Is that a disappointment? How would you describe where they are in recruiting, especially coming off the, all the momentum of last season? Yeah, there are a couple things here. So, one, it, it's a smaller class for K-State. They only signed 15, um, which – just based on the numbers and the need kind of going into the year, if that was definitely expected the whole time. So it's, it's much more like a quality over quantity sort of thing. Depending on where you look, the average star rating uh, actually in some places is higher than it was last year. But sometimes the, the lack of quantity in the class can drag down some of those rankings. Um, they also they wound up with eight of the 15 players as a four-star prospect on one site or the other. Uh, it was just not a lot of guys that on like one site or were consensus four-star prospects on on three, so it didn't look quite as good there. But I mean, it's been a long time since K-State has had a a class where they had eight guys that had a four-star designation somewhere. And I know we talked on our podcast to Taylor Bratt, who's K-State's director of recruiting, and he said like, hey, like Gus Hawkins, for instance, who was the first guy to commit to them, he winds up being a four-star, but he was like, look, if Gus would have gone public with some of the offers that he got, then he just kept quiet because he was so committed to us uh, he, his ranking probably would have gone up so you know I mean look you can look at that and say it's excuses say it's whatever the other thing that's a little frustrating to me is that you know the on three rankings when they were coming out on signing day still had K-State like I don't remember what it was ninth or tenth in the big 12 but if you go look now K-State's all the way up to fifth and a part of that is because on three was dragging their feet on ranking the JUCO players and K-State had a, a couple of huge JUCO gets one at safety that, you know, potentially is a Kobe Savage replacement. And uh, Malcolm Alcorn Crowder, who's a, a huge defensive end that they really needed and won a recruiting battle over Florida uh, in particular, but others, uh, that was a huge gift for them. They get ranked, and all of a sudden the class starts to shoot up a little bit. So they're actually now fifth in the Big 12, if you go look at on three right now, um, at least as of last night when I was looking at it. So I think it's fine. You know, they, they were chasing some really big fish. Uh, Michael Boganowski was – uh, one of the best players in the state of Kansas from nearby Junction City. Came down to K-State in Oklahoma, um, and he, he chooses Oklahoma. That was a tough tough pill to swallow. K-State really wanted him, a uh, talented linebacker. Good news there, K-State's got a really, really deep linebacker room right now. The other one was Grant Bricks, uh, offensive lineman from Nebraska, who was a uh, borderline top 100 prospect and, again, went down to the wire. K-State, Oklahoma, and Nebraska. He winds up choosing Nebraska. Uh, that was a tough one to swallow, but K-State had – I think arguably their best offensive line class ever, uh, if you look at who they got. I already mentioned Gus Hawkins, who's a four-star prospect. Caden Massey from Kansas picked K-State over Oklahoma and Nebraska. So they did they did win a couple of recruiting battles there against those schools. So it kind of just comes back to, again, quality over quantity. Um, yes, you would have liked to have gotten some of the more high-profile guys. Jason Ross is another one defensive end from Kansas City that they were in probably the top three, four and coming down to the wire. But Nick Saban started showing up at his high school within the last couple of weeks. And lo and behold, he chooses Alabama. You know I mean? It's tough to fault them too much for that. So um, if they would have landed one more of those really big fish that they were chasing, I think he would have felt a lot better. But now they're gearing up for a huge year in 2025 because the state of Kansas has about seven or eight prospects who are going to be four stars or better. K-State feels like they're in a really good position for a bunch of them. But I know behind the scenes what's happening right now is that Chris Kleiman and Gene Taylor in particular have gotten completely on board with NIL and how important it was. Mm -hmm. And it's been a little little frustrating, I think, for K-State fans. Jerome Tang has fully embraced the importance of it, goes out and campaigns. He was just doing it a couple of nights ago, uh, meeting with a bunch of donors and fans preaching the importance of NIL. I think Chris Kleiman has been more old school, dragging his feet on that a little bit. Gene Taylor hadn't totally, you know, they'd still been leaning almost more toward like, hey, donate to the Ahern Fund, which is like money that they can take for facilities and stuff like that. 
Um, I got to give a shout out to my guy, Curry Sexton, former K-State wide receiver. He had a thousand yard receiving season playing with Tyler Lockett. He now heads up Wildcat NIL and he's done a great job uh, pushing the importance of that and organizing and helping to push Chris Kleiman and Gene Taylor to the point that they're at right now. And I think Kleiman looked at it and realized like, hey, we've got a huge 2025 class here that could really make or break the next couple of years of the program. You've now got Kansas. That's a much bigger factor in all of these recruitments that was not the case a couple of years ago. So they're really stepping up the NIL game and going to make a big push at this 2025 class. I think it is going to be a, a really, really pivotal class uh, for K-State and Kansas uh, in-state. And so that's that's the next thing really on my radar recruiting-wise. Well, yeah, and then, of course, in that same area, what Rule's doing at Lincoln, it, you mentioned that they beat Nebraska on a, a few of those recruits. Baylor is kind of in that same boat, but slightly maybe ahead of what K-State is now doing because they seem to have gotten involved for this season but heavily involved when it comes to the class of 2024. So, 8-4, and four, NC State, the bowl game. How would you describe, based on K-State winning the conference last year, despite the loss to Alabama in the bowl game, how would you describe this season for K-State and Chris Kleiman? Yeah, you know, it was definitely a mild disappointment uh, for the fans, especially because, you know, you think back to that Texas game, they were really close to putting themselves in position to be in Arlington, um, just needing six yards uh, with a goal-to-go situation there in overtime. And that, that obviously really, really stings. And the Iowa State game, you know, I mean, it leaves a horrible taste in your mouth. I'd be interested to know how that game goes if you had won the Texas game and a spot in the Big 12 championship was on the line. Um, you know, there were a couple instances there. I mean, I can just – like, Will Lee is the guy who has the – I mean, it's a hilarious highlight – just shoves Iowa State's running, chases him down in the middle of the field and then shoves him and it looks like a Super Mario Kart thing where like you hit him with the mushroom and it just gives him like a little supercharge and he runs away from everybody. And K-State winds up walking on him. Now he went to Texas A&M, he had a lot of options, really talented guy, but I think K-State felt like he had uh, perhaps checked out a little bit at the end of the year and they, they kind of let him go. So there were a lot of things happening at the end of the year there once the Big 12 championship aspirations uh, had evaporated that I think probably led to just a, a really, really awful, historically bad defensive performance against Iowa State that left a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths. So I think you have to characterize it as somewhat disappointing, but it also is a nice sign of the times that, hey, an 8-4 season um, where you, you do beat Kansas in the biggest Sunflower Showdown since 1995 uh, is, is viewed as a disappointing season. Uh, so, And it seems, again, like a lot of the stuff that's transpired has, has sparked some change. Like I mentioned, I think they were – in particular, bothered by Kobe Savage heading to the transfer portal, and that was one of the things that really alerted them, like, hey, all right, we've got to get on top of our NIL. I think they've upgraded a lot of the other places. Safety will see. They've been great at identifying transfer portal defensive backs. Uh, tremendous at it over the last few years and sending those guys on to the NFL. Russ East, uh, Reggie Stubblefield was really good and is playing professionally now, and then uh, they have one last year, too, in Josh Hayes. So they, they've been really good at that. I hope that they do the same, but yeah, I think you're going to see some good things happening. And, look, what I want to see the most in the bowl game is not only Avery Johnson. I mean, that's the obvious. He's, he's going to be the guy taking over a quarterback and seems like they have a commitment from him here for for at least this first year. But Connor Riley is going to get the, the trial run as the offensive coordinator. And I, I love Connor Riley. He is maybe my favorite coach on staff just as, as a guy. He's a great dude. Uh, for a number of reasons, I really enjoy talking to him, and, and I think he's a great football mind and a great offensive line coach that probably has had options. Got to admit, I don't love, though, this, hey, give the offensive coordinator a trial run in the bowl game thing because you just, you're just you behind the eight ball, man, with the way this count, you guys referenced the calendar a moment ago, the way this calendar moves and 
what options you're going to have at offensive coordinator if you decide that it doesn't work out. And then even then, how fair is it to judge a bowl game? You know, a bowl game for a guy and his his acumen as an offensive coordinator where we all talk about how little they mean because there's so much variance. And he's going to be having Avery Johnson make his first start at quarterback against a really good NC State defense in the bowl game. And K-State has had some guys that have left. Uh, ben Sinnott, for instance, is opting out uh, of playing in the bowl game, so you're not going to have your, your huge weapon there at tight end. I don't know that it's a, a perfectly fair way to do it, but I'd imagine he's probably going to get the offensive coordinator job. And much as I love the guy, it's pretty late in his career to be stepping up for the first time as an OC and offensive line coaches aren't typically your prototypical like uh, offensive coordinator. So I, you know, I don't know. I'm a little leery of it. Certainly hope that it works out. I'll be very interested to see how it works out. I think they need to make sure that Avery Johnson is throwing the ball because I don't think he was particularly thrilled with how he was used this year, which was basically any, if he was going to throw the ball, there were going to be training wheels on it. It was not happening very often. And most of the time he was just a, a glorified running back, which I get it. He's incredibly fast and very effective in that role, but I think Connor Riley's going to need to prove to Avery Johnson, like, hey, I'm going to have a plan and let you really unleash your arm because everything we hear, if you watch his high school highlights, you can definitely tell, but everything we hear from inside the program is that the guy absolutely can spin it too. So uh, that to me is the, the headline of what's happening in the bowl game against NC State. John, I think we've covered on pretty much everything football-related, but uh, I'd be remiss we didn't follow up. Uh, I think it's the last time we talked to you on just the feel around the basketball program. You know, there was a lot of, uh, you know, talk uh, past couple of weeks with Naquan Tomlin and that whole situation. Not asking you to necessarily rehash all of that, but just where does, you know, K-State, the fan base, Jerome Tang, you know, just the program as a whole, where does everybody kind of find themselves as uh, we're starting to knock on the door of conference play starting up here in just the next couple of weeks? Yeah, I think things have settled down a little bit, uh, which is which is certainly a positive. I guess first just addressing what they are on the court now that, you know, you have finality and you realize that Naquan Tomlin is not going to come, you know, riding in on a white horse to save everybody. This is the team. This is what they've got. And, look, I was at uh, T-Mobile Center in Kansas City last night. They beat Wichita State solid performance they played better in the second half but they still I don't know they're, they're they, they certainly don't have the pop that they did last year they don't have the guys filling up the highlight reel like Marquise Noel uh, Keontae Johnson and of course Naquan Tomlin um, and I think like Tyler Perry for instance great shooter but he's had trouble doing he's he's I think being asked to do more than he probably should by playing more point guard they're getting Quez Glover back a guy that at one point was committed to BYU they're going to get him back for the next game against Chicago State. He hasn't played the entire year. He played a couple minutes in an exhibition game, hurt his knee. It's just now coming back. I'm very hopeful that that can get Tyler Perry off the ball some more and allow him to just be a guy that shoots because he he's small. He has trouble beating guys off the dribble. He's not overly quick or athletic. So I think that's been one thing that, you know, and you wish if you had Naquan Tomlin in to attract more attention inside, it would probably create more open looks for Tyler Perry. Um, Arthur Kaluma has shown flashes of brilliance at times, but the last couple of games, he's just been really streaky. Last couple of games, not quite been there. He's, he's not really able to get to the rim. Little sloppy three-point shot is coming on. He's the other guy that you're really relying on. Cam Carter, I think, is about as improved as anybody in the league. Uh, he is a much different player from a year ago. Um, and he's basically the only guy that can really go create his own shot and create some offense. And so they are relying quite a bit on him, too, but he's playing a ton of minutes. So, again, Getting Quez Glover back hopefully helps, but they, they have they need to take another step or two before I will be convinced that they're an NCAA tournament team. I think they have that in them, uh, but just not quite seeing it right now. And I will say the Villanova and, and Providence wins are aging very well. Uh, Villanova, I believe, won at Creighton earlier this week, so mm-hmm. I think those are going to hold up nicely. 
going, assuming they beat Chicago State, going 10-3 and three in this non-conference is what I would have set the bar at going into the year. It's pretty tough, salty non-conference schedule. And I look, if they can get out of it 10-3, and three, you're, in, you're in a fine spot. Without a bad loss, you're in a fine spot to make the tournament if you can win eight or nine games of the Big 12. But I'm still going to need to see them pick it up a notch or two. They did it last year, though. They didn't look great at this time really last year. They, they picked it up a notch or two once conference play started. So I, I certainly believe in Jerome Tang. And as far as the temperature with everything that happened with the university president, Richard Linton, putting his foot down on Naquan Tomlin, and, you know, he has done a lot of a lot of lying behind the scenes about that whole situation. He is still not well-liked, I think, by virtually anybody there. And, uh, I don't think that's going to change, but it does sound like, I don't know if the right term is to say like cooler heads have prevailed, but things have cooled a bit and everybody's just kind of moving on for right now. Long-term, I don't know how tenable it will be necessarily, but I certainly feel more optimistic than I did last time I spoke to you guys about something working out there. Um, and again, I think Jerome Tang is someone that's going to be very happy about the fact that K-State has really uh, upped their, their commitment here to NIL because he knows he's going to need it. And another thing I will pass along is that through everything that's happened with Richard Linton and some of his really erratic behavior and temper and things that have just boiled over behind the scenes, I think he and Gene Taylor are as close as they've ever been. Uh, I feel pretty confident in telling you that, that it's really brought them together, uh, kind of forced them through fire, having to deal with all of this, with the, the president acting the way that he has. And so there's some hope for you as a, as a K-State fan or, or someone who wants to see that relationship continue is that Jerome Tang obviously was very, very loyal to Scott Drew for a long time, and now his direct boss, Gene Taylor, who's the reigning college athletics athletic director of the year, uh, they have become even closer throughout all of this. So there are certainly some things in place that can make you feel a little bit better about the, the situation. So, there's, there's nothing better, John, than when the president, the AD, and the football and men's basketball, with all due respect to anyone else, are all aligned. And so – Taylor with the connection to Linton, but also with the fact that he likes Tang, Tang likes him and raves about him uh, and climate, of course, that that could have been disastrous. That could have been just an ugly breakup. Everybody eventually goes their separate way and K-State's right back into like, what the hell do we do now? Yeah, no doubt. I mean, you were you were staring the worst case scenario in the face. And I, I, mean, I wouldn't say that they're totally out of the woods yet. I right. don't know what the decision making is going to be like at, at the end of the year and you know, with Gene Taylor, I almost want to, you know, I think the thing you maybe worry about more with him is like, does he just say, hey, I don't want to deal with this. I'm just going to retire and, and right off into the sunset. And then you're left wondering about what happens with everybody else. But for right now, it seems like things are in a, a better spot. It had calmed down a little bit. And look, when it was just like a five alarm fire every day there for about a week um, in K-State's world, I think you'll take that for right now and just say, all right, let's see how this basketball season plays out and kind of go from there. You want a funny tweet to, to close out the segment on FSU? From Let's Tom, do it. Tom Fornelli, Florida State is claiming the ACC just isn't the same league due to injury, the grant of rights, in reference <laughs> to the college football playoff being left out. So pretty good. That's, golly, this is like you said, Craig said this yesterday. My God, right before Christmas. You have to be an angry group to be able to do that, but it's the way it is. Uh, have a great Christmas uh, weekend. John, thanks for your time as always, and we'll talk to you again soon. Hey, anytime. Merry Christmas to all you guys. Appreciate you. John Kurtz, Kansas City, KC Sports Network with us on 365 Sports. This Florida State thing, Craig, and we're going to come back, we'll discuss it more, then we'll eventually get to Grayson. Today was, this was like hammer down. It's, it's not just, okay, we're going to meet again in two weeks. And then you wonder, where is the ACC network, excuse me, where is 
when it comes to dumb, the ACC compared to what we saw the disaster of the Pac-12? Um, yeah, I think we got a super chat that Gary just texted us about. Um, but, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I think that that's – a apples and oranges comparison um the acc is about to fight a legal battle where one of their teams is trying to negate their grant of rights or um probably in more honest terms not even negotiate getting out of their grant of rights although or getting out of their grant of rights via the court system which is would be ideal is it would be ruled that it's unenforceable but probably trying to just simply get a settlement of some sort is, is the most logical thing here. Um, is, is not banking on the courts giving you a decision however long down the line, which you're not wanting to wait years and years to drag this out. So the other option, like with the Pac-12 and what we just saw yesterday, would be a settlement of some sort. And if you can get that $500-plus million you know, knocked down to – a hundred million dollars, and then you bring in the whole private equity aspect of this, and that's actually manageable as opposed to nearly six hundred million dollars that you're on the hook for in theory. So, um, you know, they're going to battle that, and we'll see what comes out on the other end. The Pac-12 was a totally different thing. There was no team trying to sue them to get out of the grant of rights. Their teams wanted to be there. Their teams were negotiating the television contract. Florida State's arguing against the television contract that was signed years ago, and saying that basically. The ACC failed them because the ACC was negotiating on behalf of those schools yep. and agreed to a, a deal with ESPN that in multiple different ways wasn't in the best interest of their schools. For one, uh, the fact that here in 20, uh, what was it, uh, 2023 or t- what was the year, 2027, I guess, 2027 is yep. when, you know, past that mark they're not guaranteed to make any more money despite the fact that we've all been pointing to 2036 so they're under contract for 2036 under contract yeah but there's as we learned today no guarantee or as we had confirmed today no guarantee of any money beyond the next few years Mm -hmm. and so that was the deal negotiated by the acc and it also made mention in the florida state presser or i guess uh media session that they had board meeting that um you know that's that's just not acceptable, and that they can't compete at the level that they want to compete at, and and so yeah, I mean that that to me is just a totally different thing. The Pac-12 schools were waiting for the conference to negotiate their deal and get it done, and they were never able to get a deal done. But it was nothing in like bad faith or anything like that. Florida State saying, yeah, we've got a TV deal, but our TV deal isn't satisfactory, and you didn't negotiate it in good faith. And ESPN basically forced you into a, you better do this or we're backing off, and you're not getting anything. And the ACC agreed to it and and agreed to a deal now where yeah they don't have anything guaranteed beyond 2027 even though they're locked down in theory until 2036 and so it's just it's it's a total it's black and white but um it could end up with the same result which is you know one team opening the door and then a flood of of teams following afterwards but i think it would maybe not result in the death of the acc but it would drastically alter the ACC the way that we know it now because it wouldn't just be one school leaving it would open the door for every single team to no longer have to worry about the grant of rights and so uh, I don't know what that exodus would look like um, but it's uh, it's fascinating stuff and, and there's a long way to go here and uh, it's amazing that some of the information released today during this board of regents and this uh, live deal was news that a lot of people didn't know about and in some cases I saw Brett McMurphy where Florida State just went online, went to Google, and looked at things like 2013 grant of rights or 2016 grant of rights to get some of this information. 
And everyone seems to be, why would they have done this? Why would the ACC have done this? In the case of the Pac-12, as far as the give ESPN the opt-out and also um, not be in control of their own deal, the Pac-12's problem was that they thought they were better than they were and nobody was smart enough to say, no, we're not, and they let that thing fly out the window. Uh, it, it's another crazy day in college football. It's, yeah, I mean, it's just it's they're, they're, they're not really similar. It's just that the outcome could be similar. similar. I'm saying both of them screwed the pooch. There's no question. Um, yeah, and so the um, yeah the ACC is is now gonna you know put up their dukes and see what kind of a legal battle that they can I guess form against uh, Florida State in response and we'll go from there or they'll have uh, multiple conversations and agree to some settlement down the line. I mean, there's so many different ways that this could go, but you know here we are and the ball's rolling now and there's no more warnings or threats or any of that. I mean, they're they're following through with it and they're going to the courts today and it's all going to be in motion so yeah let's see where it takes us but um the ACC is uh yeah on shaky ground I think that's more than fair to say but I don't think anybody really has a great grasp on what exactly to predict where where this heads all right super chat thank you very much uh Payson Cougar fan BYU Merry Christmas go 365 sports go go Cougars go Big 12 in Utah go anywhere else and then (laughs) Kim Coulter, also a super chat. Uh, as I mentioned, hey, contribute to my golfing bets that I have coming up in the next few days. Putt better. Get that cigar out of your mouth from Kim Coulter. Both of you, thank you for the super chats as we hit the holiday weekend. Yeah, go BYU. Appreciate that. Uh, and fun little message there and uh, awfully kind gesture. So do appreciate that from who was that Cougar fan? C- Payson Cougar uh, Payson fan. Payson Cougar fan. Uh, Merry Christmas or happy holidays to you. And, and again, thank you for that. And uh, thank you, Kim. I'm wearing a hoodie that Kim sent on over uh, just a few days ago, and uh, it's very nice, and uh, it's definitely great to have a World Series champion Rangers sweatshirt. Especially uh, with just, what the Dodgers are doing. You may not get another one. Uh, maybe not. We'll see. Yeah, I think uh, I'll be satisfied with just the one and first time only for yeah. right now and not worry too much about how many others they get because they're the current World Series champion. So I'm going to enjoy that for as long as possible and not – worry about number two, three, and, and all that beyond. But it's great to be able to wear it rather than, you know, simply an ALCS or a division championship or a World Series runner-up like it would have been for so many years. Uh, they're they're the champs, and it feels good, and this sweatshirt feels good. So thanks, Kim, for uh, the Christmas present. I really appreciate it. Tyler Hartsock, we finally seem to have the proper format, the playoff format going forward, but now the conferences are all jacked up. Laugh out loud. Great point. When we come back, Grayson Grunhafer on Baylor in the week that they've had uh, from what they've added in the transfer portal from the junior college level and also on National Signing Day and what else maybe is around the corner. Connor Cole, Super Chat, Merry Christmas as a Bearcat fan. I'm loving this. Getting more teams in the East would be nice. Go Bearcats. Thank you very much for that. Yeah, go Cincy. Go Bearcats. And excited to see what they can uh, do in basketball this season. Uh, I don't know, you know, quite what the expectations are but uh football wise we're going to be paying close attention to what they got geared up uh this off season and we'll be uh, excited to talk about the Bearcats more and more as uh yeah who knows what's coming down the pipeline but we're definitely not going to forget about the new teams and and this still being in the midst of their first year I think that kind of gets lost almost like it's 
we've flown past that already, but uh, we haven't forgotten about that, and I definitely love having the Bearcats as a part of the audience as well, so thank you. One more thing on the FSU show memo. FSU Christmas present, present to the ACC. Merry Christmas. Remember who was the head of the bowl committee or the college football playoff committee, the president or the AD, excuse me, at North Carolina State. When we come back, Grayson Grunhafer around the corner, Paul's top five at about 11.15 or so. Garrett Ross, Craig Smoke. I'm David Smoke. Thanks to those of you today who are joining us early, and this is 365 Sports. Richard Carr, Buick GMC Cadillac, they are the people that you can count on. They're the people that I've counted on and thousands of people around this area have counted on over the past couple of decades. And right now, they are very much in the Christmas spirit, uh, very much a family-friendly and focused dealership over at Richard Carr. And uh, they want to make the holidays as happy and memorable as they can possibly be for you and your family. And also make it as safe and comfortable as it can be for your family. They are a family dealership, and it's a very special time of year uh, with family and friends. Uh, they know that that time and experience is precious, so uh, they want you to feel safe uh, traveling around with your family. They want that to be a priority for you, that peace of mind. So whether you need a new SUV to travel in during these uh, coming weeks and months or uh, you are just looking to get service on your existing car and truck. They are there to give you the best deals and the best service during the holidays and all year long at Richard Carr. And right now, that includes the Buicks with the perfect combination of first-class luxury and value like no other SUV. Ranked number one overall brand for new vehicle quality by J.D. Powers. Buick offers amazing value. And right now, you can save thousands on qualified buyers. You can get 1.9% financing on Buick's top-rated SUVs. Plus, if you're a military or first responder, you can also save an additional $500. You can contact the dealership in person over the phone or through the website richardcar.com for more information on that. But perhaps you're not looking to buy new. You're looking more of the pre-owned route. Well, they trade for the best, so they have a lot full of quality pre-owned cars and trucks in stock to choose from as well. Over 90 used cars and trucks in stock to choose from all inspected with a 172-point inspection and the Richard Carr seal of approval, plus the financing goal at Richard Carr's 100% credit approval. They say yes when others say no. So whether you're looking to get into a new Buick, and they've certainly got a lot of great offers there, or you're looking to go the pre-owned route, they want you to be safe and sound and have great peace of mind with family and friends traveling during this holiday season or just getting around to wherever you're going to. So check out the dealership run by proud Central Texans, proud Baylor Bears. Log on to richardcarr.com today. Call now or go see them now off Highway 6 at the Imperial Exit. With so many companies and policies out there, it gets so confusing shopping for insurance, and I never know if I'm getting the policy that's right for me. Luckily, I met the team at the Nitchy Group Insurance Agency. With the Nitchy Group, you can go to one company and get access to coverage options from many insurance carriers, and you get to speak to a real person about your specific coverage needs. With the Nitchy Group, I know I'm getting the right coverage at the right price. If you need insurance, talk to the experts at the Nitchy Group at 1-800-258-8302. Baylor alumni are more than 160,000 strong. When we all join hands to support our university, we don't just move the needle, we move mountains. Working together, we create life-changing opportunities for students on the field, in the classroom, in the laboratory, and in life for generations to come. So get connected. Get involved. Learn how at baylor.edu slash alumni. 
Petty Clinic Men's Healthcare in Woodway is now proud to offer you men an exceptional weight management body sculpting product called semaglutide, also known as Ozempic or Wegovy. Semaglutide is an FDA-approved weight management medication. Once-a-week injections of this powerful medication offers an average body fat weight loss of 20% within the first year of treatment. In addition to body sculpting, semaglutide also normalizes blood sugars and has the clinical research proof of reducing blood pressure, cholesterol, stroke, and heart attack risk. If you're like most men and you have stubborn fat that will just not respond to typical diets and exercise, then help us finally here. Semaglutide, affordable, highly effective, good. Google search Petty Clinic Waco and reach out to the Petty Clinic team today for a free consultation with Dr. Petty to see if semaglutide is right for you. Go to PettyClinicLowT.com. There are 26 letters in the alphabet, over 600,000 words in the dictionary, and just three of them said together can change everything. Let's order pizza. Those three words lead to dough made from scratch and three fresh signature cheeses that blanket golden crust in a heavenly melt on Marco's Pizza that'll blow your mind. So visit Marco's.com to order and stop by Marco's Pizza in Bellmead, China Spring, Woodway, and in Robinson. Marco's. Pizza lovers get it. Three sixty five sports is turbocharged by Unite Private Networks. Find out more at UnitePrivateNetworks.com. Grayson uh, Garrett working on got him. Okay. Hey, by the way, tonight the last game ever, men's or women's basketball at the Farrell Center. They'll shut it down against Mississippi State. Baylor has been bruised with the loss to Michigan State when they were battered and against Duke when they seemed to be in pretty good shape, about eight minutes left in the game, and then poof, uh, Duke couldn't miss, Baylor couldn't stop, and also couldn't make any shots. Six o'clock tonight at the Farrell Center, Mississippi Valley State and Baylor. Mississippi Valley State has not won a game, so Baylor closing out the Farrell Center and around the corner, the opening of the Foster Pavilion just on the other side of the Brazos River from where we are in Caddy Corner to McLean Stadium. Grayson Grunhafer, Sikkim365.com, 365 Sports, with us about what has been the week of recruiting. Grayson, when you look at the junior college, the transfer portal, National Signing Day, your thoughts on how Baylor did with Dave Aranda and his staff? Yeah, you know, I, I think there's been a lot discussed about the 2024 class specifically. And, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say that it is, you know, this crown jewel of a class. I mean, it's ranked, you know, outside the top 60. And frankly, for the most part, Baylor classes shouldn't be ranked, you know, that low. And I, I think most people would agree with that. But I also think, you know, you look a little deeper into the situation that has occurred for Baylor over the last year. Um, and it kind of paints a different picture, right? So I know everyone's seen all these graphics. Baylor ranked 16th, according to on three or whatever in the conference. And if you do it by average, Baylor is much closer to the middle of the conference by average recruit rank. But Baylor took a much smaller class this year. And the reason for that is is that you saw the team this year. You saw a lot of young guys that really performed pretty well, or at least showed flashes of maybe what they could be in the future, even though obviously they weren't winning games. And you go, okay, so they got these young guys, they got this young core that they feel good about. 
And then in order to get better for next year, in order to take that step forward, they have to add guys who are more proven and older and can come in with experience and past production and things like that. And so because of that, you're seeing this kind of shift in philosophy where Baylor's only going to take, you know, maybe 13, 14, 15, 2024 guys, and then focusing a lot of their attention on the transfer portal, which I think is definitely going to uh, reap rewards for Baylor next year while also, again, developing the younger guys that they already have on the roster. So I think there's been a lot of discussion about that, and I think there's a lot of nuance to it, uh, even though, you know, I know the class rank isn't where people would want. Now, as far as what Baylor's done so far, I mean, you look at Jaquan Finn, uh, a quarterback, you know, from Toledo who Baylor needed to come in. They lost Blake shape into Mississippi State. They were looking for a quarterback who fit what Jake Spavital wanted to bring in as the offensive coordinator. And Finn comes in and brings really a lot of the things that you want to see, whether it's, you know, mobility, escapability, the rushing ability, the deep ball down the sideline, um, along with production. The guy's been extremely productive the last three years, and he's just a winner. Um, so you put all that together, and you got to feel good about that position um, going forward for the Bears. And obviously, Omar Egbedian out of Montana State really coming in to reinforce the offensive line. And he really gives them a stable presence and a guy who's going to be um, just a road grader. I mean, the, the guy can move people, and Baylor didn't move many people last year. And, you know, this was a guy who was raised, I believe, a four-star the morning before he committed to Baylor. And then by the afternoon, he had been dropped to a three-star. So you know, take that for however you want to take that. But he's a very good prospect and right around that borderline four-star territory uh, for a transfer. And then obviously Cameron Jenkins from UNLV, who played a lot as a true freshman there. He's the twin brother of Caden Jenkins, and Cameron's going to come in and really add even more young depth to the roster. So I think at this point, Baylor's done a nice job. There's obviously still holes on the roster. But guys, there's a lot of time left. And Baylor's going to move into January with a focus on looking at you know, different prospects that they haven't gotten on campus. And then, of course, they're going to be able to see new prospects as guys continue to enter the transfer portal every day. So, Grayson, what's the plan of attack with the portal now? I mean, there's some feeling that they haven't been active enough. As you said, though, there's still time, but there's also a lot of guys off the board. Um, What are you expecting? I mean, in terms of the impact needed and the positions needed and just how do they approach this coming year and, and trying to redo this roster? Right. So I think it's pretty clear based on the offers that have gone out and based on just kind of the focus of the staff on what positions they're clearly looking at. And I think Jack and star and wide receiver are three positions that, you know, haven't been addressed yet. They're absolutely going to be addressed um, with at least one transfer portal addition in each of those positions. Um, you know, depending on the quality of, you know, best player available types, I could see multiple, especially at the wide receiver spot. Um, but yeah, those three positions for sure. Obviously, the offensive line, they're going to take another one, maybe even two more um, to try to rebuild that group. Um, you know, specifically, they're going to want a guy who's got production already on film and tape that can come in and, you know, you kind of feel good about, right, going into spring football. You feel good that you have another position, Um and so they're definitely going to do that. I, again, I think it'll probably be two more. I think it should be two more, um, but at least one more. Outside of that, though, you know, I, I've kind of been, you know, the more that I've looked at this and the more that I looked at it last year, you know, Baylor did not take a safety last year, and I'm not including Star in this because um, Star's more of a nickel. But I'm talking about 
boundary and field safety, the positions that were played by Devin Lemire and Devin Bobby last year, those two positions really, I felt like, struggled at times last year. They had moments here and there, but there was not enough uh, depth at the position, and the tackling was not good enough last year either. And so, you know, Devin Lemire gets hurt early in the season, and you're relying on either a true freshman, DJ Coleman, or Alfonso Allen, who's now in the transfer portal, to come in and really play a significant role. And that's really a tough ask, I think, for that group. So I would be really shocked if they didn't go out and add a safety, uh, a deep safety to come in and at least add depth to the two deep. You know, you'd like it to be a starter, but, you know, a guy that's in the two deep to at least allow this group to rotate more and at least have more experience and more talent on the field. Uh, more often. I, I just think that's a position that I'm not seeing them really focus on right now that I do feel like is one that um, I think could be needed for this roster to really round into form. Well, there's still coaches that need to be hired too. And now that we're past signing day, is that now the focus as they hit the holidays? What you expect at tight end or well, obviously running backs coach? What What's going to happen with those staff uh, opportunities? Well, you know, they already got Keenan Hall in there to play to do the running back side of stuff. So they're good there. It's really just tight ends, I think, is the only coaching spot that's left open. And, you know, you are got to try to figure that out. Obviously, Sean Bell was going to take over that role, and now he's going to Houston. So I think that's going to be an interesting, you know, hiring uh, position because you look at kind of what does the staff need, and I think you immediately turn towards recruiting, and I think that makes a lot of sense. But I also look at it as, man, you got a really talented tight end room. And, and, you know, for a lot of the criticisms that a lot of people have said about Jeff Grimes, the one thing, you know, he absolutely did well was recruit tight end. I mean, that position looked really good, infinitely better than at any time I've seen the Baylor tight end room in, in my time watching uh, Baylor. They've taken a huge step forward. There's a lot of good young pieces there. So you would like a coach that could come in and develop that group as well as being a good um, recruiter in general. So I think that's a part of it for sure. But I also think, you know, during this stretch, they're still going to send out offers. They're still going, going to be able to contact recruits, you know, call, text messages, everything like that. You just can't have recruits on campus. So the transfer portal is still going to be extremely busy. It's just going to be a little bit more difficult to get commits right now just because, you know, transfers usually want to visit before making that decision. Uh, there is a little bit of an open period January 3rd through the 7th. Uh, that's going to be very important. You'll have visitors uh, during that stretch. And then the portal, um, the dead period ends on January 12th. So that's where things become uh, even more open. As you learn more about him, what are your thoughts on Daquan Finn? I mean, we had a pretty good interview with him just yesterday and uh, this, how this all sort of unfolded uh, from your standpoint uh, with him in the fold now. What does that kind of mean? And what are your thoughts on him as a, a prospect and a player? Yeah, you know, I think that, again, it's one of those things where you're getting a guy who's a proven commodity. Um, he was the max, most valuable player this past year. And, I, I mean, he's just done a lot of really good things during his time at Toledo, and he's been ultra-productive for three straight years. And I think that's really important for Baylor to kind of know the kind of production that you're going to get and really be able to count on that. And, and I think they're going to get that with Daquan Finn and, He's going to come in. I think he's pretty easily going to throw for, you know, something like 2,500 yards and at least going to run for about 600 yards and have right around, you know, 25 to 30 touchdowns. That's what he's done the last three years. So it'd be pretty shocking to not see him perform at that level. 
Um, but I think the bigger thing with him, and probably the thing that matters the most in, in all of this, is he has won football games. And, you know, Toledo had a stretch in there from 2018 to 2020 where, you know, they were just kind of a 500 team, you know, to be honest. And this was after coming off a really nice run there in 2017. But during that three, four-year stretch, they were just, you know, six, seven-win team. And when he became the starting quarterback, they won seven games in 2021, then nine games in 2022, including a MAC championship. And then this past year, they won 11 games. So continuing to get better and better as he became more ingrained in the offense and the culture there at Toledo, um, and really took that program to a, a very high level this past season. And that's really cool to see, obviously, averaging over 31 points per game during his time as the starting quarterback is really encouraging as well. And I think just in general, you know, Baylor, I don't think could have asked for a better prospect to land at the quarterback position than Daquan Finn. I mean, he fits everything that they need. And realistically, I mean, to get a guy that is a most valuable player in a league that is, you know, fairly good in the MAC. I mean, that's a really big deal. And I'm not sure that enough people realize, you know, just how good he was at Toledo. And it's a, it's a huge pickup for Dave Brandon and Jake Spavitol. And I know that as the season ended, and of course the last several weeks was a nightmare year for Baylor and the fans, and how many darts were thrown at Aranda, Grimes, Mateos, et cetera, um, and Palage. But when we've talked to players, and including Daquan Finn yesterday, they raved about Dave Aranda. They raved about who he is. Now he's a nice guy. Everyone knows he's a nice guy, but there were more than he's just a nice guy comments from Finn and others about Dave Aranda, the football coach. Have you noticed that too? Oh, absolutely. And I mean, guys, that's not shocking at all. And it's something that I tried to reiterate for months when people were trying to, you know, make there ever a lot of people really wanted Dave Aranda to be fired. And, you know, a lot of it was, saying, you know, the culture, the team, and all these different things. And, and that's, you know, great to say in theory, but I, I think the proof is what's happening right now. And the fact of the matter is, you look at the guys that have transferred away from Baylor, there's only two of them that I think Baylor would have wanted. And really, there's only one that I think is a significant loss, and that's Drake Dabney, uh, because you replaced Blake Shapin with Daquan Fence. You feel like you at least got a push. I, I think, you know, I think Fence is going to end up being better than Shapin, but Still, like, you look at that and go, okay, he's been able to retain pretty much all of this roster. And if you look back a month ago or two months ago on Twitter or whatever, you know, forum that you look at, so many people were saying this roster is going to see a mass exodus. Everyone's going to leave. And, and all these different kind of horror story takes. And in reality, that has not happened. And that's because these players really do have a lot of confidence in Dave Aranda, a lot of confidence in the entire staff and Baylor as a program. And I think that speaks volumes about the culture that Dave Randa has instilled there. Now, culture is great and retaining players is great. You still have to go win games. I think we all realize that, but I do think that you're exactly right. You know, the players respect Dave Randa and they really do think that he is the guy that can lead them, you know, to a bright future. Grace and Alex Foster didn't sign on signing day. That wasn't a surprise, a big time defensive lineman prospect, not necessarily by ranking, but certainly by, you know, the fact that Texas is hot and heavy on his heels, and I don't think we're going to doubt their ability to scout defensive linemen at this point. Um, but uh, that while that wasn't unexpected, have you gleaned anything from, you know, what to kind of think here over the next few weeks as he waits until National Signing Day number two? Anything changed in, in much in, in terms of the Alex Foster story? 
You know, not a ton has changed there. I, I still, you know, stand by that Baylor is the leader right now. Um, you know, as things progress, you never know what may happen. You never know what, what could change leading into February. But I, I do think that Baylor is still in a really good spot to land him. And, and they really do need to land him. That's a priority for Baylor. And, and I think, you know, it's one of those things where I think Alex Foster is going to probably have to look at this and go, okay, you know, do I want to go in and be the backup option at Texas or do I want to be the guy at Baylor? And, and I think that's going to be a big decision that he's going to have to make. But I think in general, Baylor's done an amazing job recruiting him. They found him really early on. And he's a guy who, in my eyes, is probably the best recruit in this class. I mean, he's a very, very special prospect, great size, fits exactly what they want on the defensive line. And, and I think he would be a huge loss. And that's why Baylor has really, really made him a priority, a huge priority uh, going into February. And even, you know, this early signing day, they really tried, have tried everything they can uh, to, to keep him and to get him uh, to Baylor. So that's going to be an interesting story to follow and definitely one that the Baylor staff is working on heavily and, and something that's going to be uh, very interesting to watch. But, yeah, that, that's a huge piece of the puzzle as Baylor moves forward into uh, the second signing day. I know we don't normally ask you about basketball because we're so busy with football news, but any thoughts on where Scott Drew and the men find themselves, particularly after that loss uh, the other night against Duke? Yeah, you know, I think you you look at the Michigan State game and you can kind of write that off as, you know, Michigan State kind of had a get-right spot and they played really well. They played their best game of the year and Baylor did not. And so that's what happens when, you know, those that result is kind of what happens in those situations. But I felt like in the Duke game, you saw some problems there just continuing to, to reoccur for Baylor. And simply put, they're not good enough defensively right now. Uh, they're not good enough, in my eyes, to make a sweet 16 push with the defense that they're playing at the moment. And while they have a good offense, you do see at times they still have an inability to get into the lane. And if they're not able to get into the lane, it really stops everything they do. I think they're a little bit too careless with the basketball right now. Um, there's just a lot of things that weren't right these last two games. The good news is they have a little bit of a stretch here to get ready for conference play and make some adjustments. Uh, but ultimately, I think the biggest thing for me watching the, these past two games is defensively just how, how much further they need to go if they actually want to be a serious title contender. Um, so, yeah, that, that's kind of where I'm at right now. Defensively, just they need to take a huge step forward. And I do want to say, you know, on the flip side, I know we don't talk about women's basketball too much, but they are off to a great start. And Nikki Collin really has that group playing really, really good basketball on the women's side. And so, um, you know, got to mention them. They're, they're doing a great job heading into the holidays undefeated. and uh, They have a real chance to get back on the top of the Big 12 standing. Hey, Grayson, Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Thanks for your time on many things from the week that has been busy. Portal, obviously National Signing Day and much more. Thanks for your time. Thanks a lot, guys. Grayson Grunhafer, when we come back to kind of help wrap this thing up today on this Friday before the weekend of Christmas, uh, there's a note from Ross Dellinger we'll get to on the actual quotes or complaints against the ACC that Florida State put in their legal or their lawsuit, and then a response from the ACC Commissioner Jim Phillips about Florida State and what they've done. That and LSU looking for an offensive coordinator. We'll let Garrett kind of help us with that. A lot to get to. Paul's top five. This is 365 Sports. Alan Samuels, Dodge Chrysler, Jeep Ram, Fiat. They have added the 2024 Ram Heavy Duty three-quarter ton and one-ton trucks 
to a long list already of Ram trucks that qualify for 10% off MSRP. Also, the Ram DS model trucks, 15% below MSRP. A great selection of hard to get, and yet they are available at Allen Samuels. Last call on challengers and chargers in stock for immediate delivery. Over 300 new and about 100 pre-owned cars and trucks in uh, right now on the lot uh, with all sorts of makes and models available to you. David Gray, the general sales manager. AJ's the one who helped me buy a car back in 2020, which was a pre-owned car that all of a sudden I looked off to the distance. I went, man, what's that? That looks nice, and I've been driving it ever since. Great team of people. Ted Teague, general manager, CEO, Alan Samuels, Dodge Chrysler, Jeep Ram, Fiat. Don't forget, if you're a business owner, for tax purposes, get that new vehicle before the end of the year. Alan Samuels, Loop 340, east of 84 in Waco. Pizza, burgers, and Bears football. There's no place around Waco that serves them all other than Bubba's 33. Come show your green and gold and enjoy some of Waco's best food and beverages while watching your favorite team, the Bears. When real Bears fans get hungry, Bubba's 33 is the number one spot for ice-cold drinks, hand-stretched, stone-baked pizzas, and bacon-infused burgers. Join us for indoor or patio dining. Bubba's 33, Waco's restaurant and proud supporter of Baylor Bears football. Sick'em Bears. Established in 2007 and independently owned, Alliance Bank Central Texas is committed to helping families and businesses meet their financial goals. From their tellers to their board of directors, they know the importance of superior service and competitive products. Customers have confidence knowing that their financial needs are in good hands. It's your bank, Alliance Bank Central Texas, with two Waco locations, 4721 Bosque Boulevard and 191 Archway Drive on Highway 84 and at Alliance BankTexas.com. Member FDIC and Equal Housing Lender. At Ideal MRI, we feel blessed to be part of the Waco community. We're a small family business here in Central Texas. At times like this, the cost of health care has never been more important. And unfortunately, significant illnesses and injuries still occur. And that's why Ideal MRI is open and here to serve you through this difficult time. So if you need an MRI, ask your doctor about Ideal MRI. You can schedule online in minutes at IdealMRI.com or call 833-IDEAL-MRI. It was broad daylight. I stepped into a gas station for five minutes to grab a snack, and just like that, my car was broken into. They made out like a bandit. My laptop, my phone, everything. I called my agent to see what could be done, and he restored my faith in humanity. My claim was processed so quickly, and I was able to recover my losses. Stop by and see our agents at one of our three McLennan County locations. Coverage and discounts are subject to qualifications and policy terms and may vary by situation. Stepping into the boots of a U.S. Army officer can add confidence and leadership skills to your son or daughter's career path. See all the things they can achieve in our boots at GoArmy.com. U.S. Army Waco Recruiting Company, 254-598-8131 or 254-776-1543. 
Developed by Startup Waco, a nonprofit organization, GXG is a program designed to support the entrepreneurial development of Baylor University student-athletes through NIL activations. GXG works with partners and donors to offer a suite of options to student-athletes, including connections with local businesses and nonprofits, entrepreneurial development, and other avenues to broaden the NIL profile of student-athletes. The program helps student-athletes maximize their platforms and offers a comprehensive support system for them to create and grow new businesses that not only benefit themselves, but also uplift the local economy. Fans who wish to support student-athletes can donate to GXG via the GXG NIL Fund, BaylorBears.com slash GXG. Donors may wish to support the general fund or direct funds to specific sports. Oversight of the NIL Fund is managed by the Board of Directors of Startup Waco and the Baylor NIL Advisory Council. GXG is a program of Startup Waco, a tax-exempt organization under Internal Revenue Code Section 501c3. Donors should consult their tax advisors regarding the tax deductibility of donations to GXG. Contributions to support NIL activations through GXG can be made at BaylorBears.com slash GXG. For more information, follow at GXG underscore GreenXGold on social media and visit the official website www.gxg.startupwaco.com. This is 365 Sports, powered by Sikkim365.com. Enjoying the show? Hit the like button and subscribe. All right, so to wrap up so far today, the Florida State Board of Regents did meet. Uh, Board of Trustees met, and they have made the decision, and that was announced that they would file a lawsuit. And Ross Dellinger, they filed the suit in Leon County Circuit Court against the ACC, accusing the league of restraint of trade, breach of contract, and a failure to perform. It also challenges the legality of its withdrawal penalties. Now, again, that's the lawsuit. Now, how Florida State goes on from there and how the ACC uh, also responds. Here's a statement from the commissioner. This is a, they're going to have a fun little get-together the next time everybody's in the same room. Florida State's decision to file action against the conference, direct conflict with their longstanding obligations, clear violation of their legal commitments to the other members of the conference, all ACC members, including Florida State, willingly, knowingly re-signed the grant of rights in 2016, which is wholly enforceable and binding through 2036. Each university has benefited from this agreement, millions of dollars in revenue. Neither Florida State nor any other institution has ever challenged its legitimacy. Also, they went on to talk about the student-athletes and all of that and NCAA championships. Bottom line, we are confident the grant of rights, which has been honored by all universities who signed similar agreements, will be affirmed by the courts, and the conference's legal counsel will vigorously enforce the agreement in the best interest of the ACC's current and incoming members, Cal Stanford and SMU. Now, LSU looking for an offensive coordinator. Garrett Ross, they had the most prolific offense in the country with Heisman Trophy winner Jaden Daniels and Neighbors and others. And now he's had, Benbrook is headed back to where he's been a couple of different times to Notre Dame. 
Yeah, this was uh, you had some smoke coming out last week about this that this could be on the horizon. It's really unfortunate because I mean, you look at that offense last year; they were really prolific. You had Jaden Daniels who won the Heisman. Uh, ben Brook found himself as the a finalist for the Broyles Award at the end of the season. Um, I, I don't know where you go from here if you're LSU, and you got to think the way I'm looking at this is if you bring in a, when you bring in the new guy, um, how does he evaluate Garrett Nussmeyer? Uh, and, and the whole quarterback room as a whole, um, there's a lot of questions I have. I feel like LSU is taking a step backwards. Uh, I don't know where this is going to go. I don't know where you're going to go from here. I don't know Brian Kelly's connections, but you're going to have to get somebody in here who can implement this high-flying offense because that's the new way. That's the way L- everybody in LSU is expected to see these prolific high-flying offenses. Uh, but, yeah, you got to find somebody that's – I don't know where you go from here, man, but it's, it's interesting to see. Yeah, Mike Denbrock uh, was uh, very familiar with Notre Dame. It's his third stint, I believe, going back to South Bend and uh, already has some experience coaching with Marcus Freeman. Uh, had, obviously, a, a very uh, exciting and uh, you know fun offense and clearly the best player in the country. Uh, clearly, I mean, that's debated, but you know the best player in the country, as the Heisman defines it, uh, the Heisman winner there and Jaden Daniels, they were – uh, terrific at wide receiver, and that was a lot of fun to watch the Tigers when the defense wasn't so fun to watch. So to lose what was the best part of your team, the you know best scoring team in the country, total offense best in the country, only team top 10 in rushing and passing, uh, first and third down conversion percentage. I mean, you could go on and on and on with all of their accolades. Uh, that's going to be some big shoes to fill. You're not just going to go grab a guy who's going to just duplicate that, you wouldn't think, and you still have the issue of what do you do on defense to get better so uh, the best part of that team uh, is leaving in Jaden Daniels and also now in their offensive coordinator and probably you know the receivers and so there's a lot of questions suddenly for Brian Kelly and company to have to answer for but uh, Denbrock is a really good coach and uh, he returns to South Bend and that seems like a really good get for Marcus Freeman so all right Garrett as we head to the weekend and also a break for the show uh, you're, LSU, you're not happy with where... should mention as well, Denbrock was at uh, Cincinnati during their playoff run. It was a big part of uh, or, uh, what they did uh, there uh, on offense with Desmond Ritter and company. So, uh, yeah, he's had a lot of success here in recent years, and, uh, again, that's a great gift for the Irish. Absolutely. Uh, Garrett, you, you aren't real thrilled with they, where they are after what was such a really good run last year. No, I'm not. I mean, I haven't been real thrilled with Brian Kelly in general. I just – I feel like if you look – I know he, he had the big win last year over Bama, right? Like, it, I'm not going to knock that or take that away from him. It was impressive. But if you go into this season, uh, you have the Heisman Trophy winning quarterback, and – you attacked trying to shore up your defense, going through the portal, grabbing guys who aren't fits at LSU, um, and then you struggle recruiting uh, and, and building up your secondary that way. Uh, there's just so many questions. Uh, if you even look at his tenure at um, Notre Dame, man, like when they got into the big games, he found ways to lose. I think if you go back and look, there were a couple of games this year where that was the case as well. I'm just, I have concerns. Now you lose your offensive coordinator. How do you address that? How do you shore up this roster? I, yeah, I think they're going to take a step back next year. I do not like where this is headed. All right, so uh, we – Wrap up today's show. We'll hit Paul's top five here in a moment. For everybody that's a part of what we do at 365 Sports, we've had one hell of a year. The growth, thanks to you, the audience, and the stories that the content we've been able to cover and and discuss. Garrett Ross, thank you for being here today. Craig Smoke as well. Paul Catalina, uh, Levi Carraway, Emery Winter, Jack McKenzie. I hope I'm not leaving anybody out. And, of course, our partners in Brian Colt, 
and Ashley for what they have started and also allowed us to have every day here on 365 Sports. And our sponsors, they fed us again with what they do to help support what we do to bring it back to you every day on 365 Sports. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. We'll be back on if something crazy does happen. Next week, we'll do a show. Garrett and I will be in town. If not, Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. We'll talk to you, and we'll know who's going to play for the national championship on Tuesday, January 2nd. Be safe and enjoy. It's time for Paul Catalina's Top 5, brought to you by Texas Beef House. Where's the best beef in Texas? Your house when you order from Texas Beef House. Unleash the flavor of Texas raised Wagyu. From our pasture to your plate, TexasBeefHouse.com. Welcome in, Paul Catalina and Garrett Ross. This is the last Top 5 of 2023. As we say goodbye to this year and Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to you all, and certainly appreciate you uh, watching this when you do, whether it's live or, or uh, later on on, on YouTube. Um, this is a fun segment. We love to do it uh, every single day. Uh, so this, I promised yesterday that we, after we did Michigan and Bama, now we're going to talk about UW and UT, uh, Washington versus Texas. Top five questions about Washington and Texas. Number five, is Washington physical enough? That, I mean, because if you're going to beat Texas, I think Oklahoma did a really good job of this. They matched them punch for punch. And Texas is very physical. They have three dudes. Javondre Sweat, Byron Murphy at defensive tackle. I'm not even talking about their great defensive ends. No. And then Jalen Ford at linebacker. Those three dudes are so carved out of marble, like just tough dudes. That, and I know like saying Tavondre Sweat's carved into marble is a bit, <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Yes. Like just, they are tough. They've got offensive linemen that for the first time in a decade are absolute street brawlers. Yep. Washington has some of those guys too, but you're going to have to raise the level a little bit when you play a team like Texas. They, um, that is where like, can they match that? It's going to be, you're going to have to absolutely know that this is not like, this is going to be some, some bare knuckle brawling uh, down in the trenches. I would say if you would have asked me this question prior to the PAC 12 championship game, I would have said, hell no, like yeah. not, not even close. Um, but after watching Washington play Oregon the way they did, like they physically dominated yeah. Oregon. That was that was really impressive. And they also were able to get their rushing game going, which is something we've heard about over the la the later part of the season. Uh they've been able to implement that. I think they can to an extent, but after a while, that Texas is going to wear them just like they've done everybody else this season. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Number four, what team makes a special teams play? I think that's going to be a huge difference in this thing is Xavier worthy punt return or uh, Washington blocking a punt, like something like that mm -hmm. to me in a game that I think is going to be very close and probably going to be a little bit like good defensives, but you may not see them until like, you're going to see big plays in this game because right. there's a lot of skill players. Like it's going to have to be a block punt, a block field goal, you know, something like that, or a missed field goal. That's going to, that might swing this game, you know, Whoever makes a special teams play in this one, I think, is probably going to win it. So I think that phase of the game is going to come into this one maybe more than it would come into the other game against Bama and, and Michigan. 
Um, I would like I've watched me and you have watched plenty of Washington and Texas this season. Yeah. Um, but and as we thinking about that question, I feel like I would give the edge to Texas just a little bit. Because, but like there have been multiple times this year, and it's it's been on like kick kickoffs really. Like Trey Wisner has gone down and made some big hits. He's yeah. made some big returns. Like they have a lot of talent. I would give the edge to Texas there. But I wouldn't be surprised to see Washington do it. But I, I think I would lean for the Horns to come up with a big turnover or something on special teams to flip the game. Yeah, absolutely. Number three, can you dub get anything on the ground? Can Dylan Johnson be a factor in this game? Because if he can, he'd be one of the first. Yeah. <laughs> you know, of course, the last guy who gained some good yards on the ground was also named Dylan and Dylan Gabriel <laughs> in the last drive and the only game that Texas has lost this year. So can they... Get some wins on the ground. Now, I don't think he's going to rush for 175 yards and have some sort of game, like, right. you know, life-altering performance. But can they move the ball on the ground a little bit? If they can, that's going to be a huge advantage for them given what they, they have at quarterback and wide receiver, too. I think they can, but I don't think Dylan Johnson could do it by himself. I think you're going to see they'll find ways to use him and Penix, and and because that's the only way you could do it, right? Like you're going to have to be able to get Penix out in situations, even if you're drawing up option plays or something. I think it's going to be a combo package that they use, and that's the only way you're really you're going to have to spread out and and kind of match what Texas could do on the edge from a speed position because mm -hmm. you can't run up the middle on them no. so i think that's where you could see michael Penix kind of use uh use johnson up the middle get Penix on the outside maybe they can move the ball like that but they're not lining up and running the ball in texas no absolutely not number two can texas handle the u-dub wide receivers no the <laughs> the big weakness that texas has and if you can call it that because it's not like it's not glaring like some other teams have weaknesses. You know, Clemson doesn't have wide receivers. Right. That's a like that's why they're eight and four because they don't have wide receivers. You know, um, North Carolina doesn't have a front seven. That's why they mm. lost those. You know, um, you know, uh, Ole Miss doesn't have a, a defense. That's why you know they yeah. they had the problems. That, you know, so like you can point to that. Um, Texas just has, you know a little bit of a deficiency when it comes to the secondary, particularly the safeties have not been what they thought. Mm -hmm. uh, they've got a lot of guys healthy. Uh, and actually one of the guys, a problem who I just didn't work out for them. Catalan's in the transfer portal. Yep. So they don't have to worry about him. So um, he wasn't helping them anyway. He might as well be yeah. off the roster. Right. So, but I mean, when you talk about Roma Dunze and Jalen Polk and Jalen McMillan, can they handle all three of those guys? Because Texas has to, like, we talked about Michigan yesterday, not mm -hmm. seeing anybody like that. Even Oklahoma, who beat them, and Alabama, who who they played, don't have, nope. especially when Alabama played them, like, they had not, like, gotten their passing game square yet. And when, they still probably even don't. But, like, um, but they have not seen that. And no, not many people have. Like, no. you know, there, there's probably... Texas, like Texas, Oregon, and Florida State are probably the only schools that can compare to them in the skill position. Like, oh my God, look at all these people coming at me. So Texas, outside of practice, has not seen that. And I guarantee you, they've not done a great job in practice on Xavier Worthy and Adonai Mitchell. That's just not been, you know, how it is. So that is going to be a, you know, an interesting, an interesting swing. 
It is. And that, that's a good point you bring up there because I think the only way that Texas's secondary has even remotely seen a, a core of receivers that were that look this is in practice. Like that's really the only place it's been. Um, I think t- for me personally, Roma Dunze has been one of my favorite mm-hmm. receivers all year long. He is simply remarkable. Having McMillan back is going to be a difference as well. Uh, with Ryan Watts not being healthy back there, I know he's he's going to have time. They're expecting him to be back, and, and but I, him not being a hundred percent is something that's detrimental to Texas in this situation. I just I don't see a way realistically. I think they might be able to to draw something up where they like eliminate Odunze, but then Polk and McMillan kind of take over. But there's no way that they could slow down all three of those receivers from Washington. Yeah. I mean Washington's gonna make some play. Like even if they lose the game, Washington's yeah, gonna make gonna plays with those guys. Like they're gonna get theirs. And number one, which big time skill players to follow that up went out? Is it is it worthy and Mitchell and Sanders um, Winnington and you know Baxter, or is it those three wide receivers and Dylan Johnson? Like who makes those plays the big game-changing plays the most? Because th- that's the team that's going to win. Like whoever, this is going to be a really splashy, splashy game. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think if it winds up being a defensive showdown, I will. I'll be the first to admit, like I did not see that coming. But um, I expect to see defense make big plays in key moments for Texas. I kind of expect this to be kind of like Kansas state. Like Mm -hmm. if you want to compare it to a game of where there's a team that can like match them a little bit and you know, just that's probably the best or, 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 or or Oklahoma. Like Mm -hmm. this is Washington's two games against Oregon. This is, you know, like this is what they're going to see again. So which of those guys make the big plays, you know, does Roma Dunze score the key touchdown? Does Xavier Worthy score the key touchdown? You know, who makes the big play and who makes the big play also? Somebody in the secondary, can you make a big play? Can you get a pick? Like, those things are going to be the keys because I do think that in the trenches, those guys are going to have some some plays. I think especially Tavondre Sweat and Byron Murphy will make plays. But um, who is going to be, you know, the guy who makes the big, oh, my gosh, this just changed this game play? I I might say Penix. I mean, like yeah. he's he's a guy who, who all year long has done that. Um, he was in the running second, uh, come up second to Jaden Daniels in the Heisman run. I, I think he could have, should have won it in general. Honestly, um, I think he might be the guy that makes the, the play because this is an opportunity to ride off in the sunset. Uh, well, you know, you got to go on to the national championship and do that as well. But I, I like him. I like his the the. The, the stage for him, I think he's a guy that can kind of use getting slighted for the Heisman um, as some motivation, come out, have a big game against Texas, and keep the Huskies dreaming alive for another national championship. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's going to do it for us for 2023. Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, Happy Holidays to everybody. We love you. We thank you for watching whatever you do. Have a great end of your 2023 and start your 2024. We'll see you again on January 2nd. Love you, everybody.